Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host, and we will get started as soon as everybody is here and seated. Uh-huh. Cell phones off, please. Oh, wait, I guess you need your cell phone to listen to the episode. You know what I'm saying. Timmy, sit down. Quit messing with Jill. Goddamn, Tim. All right, everybody, let's get today's episode 69 kicked off. I've been trying to come out with new episodes every Wednesday, but Wednesday is 421, and this is episode 69, and I thought it would be better to release episode 69 on 420. So happy 420 day, everybody. Stay chill, medicate responsibly, recreate responsibly, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Bikes for Death podcast. All right, well, before we get to the show today, let's give a huge shout out to the newest patrons of the Bikes for Death podcast. Since last week's episode with Leo Wilcox, 13 new people have signed up to be sustaining members of the show. And I'm happy to announce that we have reached $500 a month over on Patreon. So as promised, I am going to start releasing a new segment of the podcast. I've been calling it Shifting Gears, call it whatever you want to, but it's gonna be a patron-only podcast. So I guess I got to figure out what I'm going to do with that. I know what I am going to do. I'm going to hop on that private Facebook group that I've created for patrons. We're going to have a little powwow and decide when and what the first episode is going to be. And we're going to kick it off soon. So if you want to get in on that and be a sustaining member of the Bikes for Death podcast, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash Bikes for Death. Or of course, you can find a link on bikesfordeath.com. I'm going to have to come up with a new goal. I think the next goal is going to be help me quit my job. Because if I quit my real job, then that means more podcast and better. Better and more. So let's take a moment to welcome our newest patrons that helped get us over that $500 threshold. And we're going to go through all of them because all of them are important. Gosh darn it. All right. First off, we got Brian Seth. Thomas Elliott, Katya Morjvujia. Katya owns Cool Cat Cycles in Katy, Texas. And she went on the uh, spring Bikes for Death bikepacking trip that I held. So shout out to Katya. All right, next up, we got Mark DeBano or DeBano, Ken Wallace, Alex Cahill, Chris Weiss, Andrew Green, Christopher Ernst, Matt Knight, Tim Nakanichny. I hope I got that one right. Mike Morris, and Ian Goldinger. Seriously, thank you all so much. And thank you to all the patrons and everybody who supports the show in whatever way you can, whether it's through Patreon, leaving a one-time donation on PayPal, buying merch, or even just leaving a five-star review on iTunes. All of it is extremely helpful, and I literally couldn't do it without you. All right, well, before we get to the show, I want to tell you real quick about my friends over at Hefe.bike. They're not just another e-commerce bike store. Hefe.bike carries products specifically designed with bikepackers and gravel enthusiasts in mind. With brands like K-Lite, Jayhawker carbon wheel sets for bikepacking and gravel, and Curve Walmer bars, which is where I got mine. So go check out these and all the other products they have over at Hefe.bike. And remember that patrons of this show get an extra 10% off. I want to tell you about my friends over at 6AM Work Shirts. Just because my style hasn't changed since middle school doesn't mean that you shouldn't dress to impress. So whether you're a person who likes to dress well for work or just wants to dress to impress on a bike ride, 
you want to check out 6am work shirts. Whether you need a shirt that'll get you to work or just look good on the town, 6am work shirts have you covered. They are breathable, sweat-wicking, antimicrobial, four-way stretch dress shirts with a slim athletic fit right off the rack. Check out 6amworkshirts.com for more info. And don't forget, patrons of this show receive 20% off. Also, I want to remind you that the East Texas Showdown, this is going to be the first year of the East Texas Showdown. It's going to be hosted by yours truly and Bikes for Death. It's going to start in Point Blank, Texas on October 1st of this year. And I'm excited to announce that Lael Wilcox is planning to attend the race. She is confirmed with me and she even said it on social media. So if you say it on social media, everybody knows it's locked in. So if you want a showdown with Lael Wilcox in East Texas, come on out, y'all. You can find more information at the East Texas Showdown Facebook page. I'm going to be linking to it on the Bikes or Death website as well soon. There's also a registration available at bikereg.com. So if you're feeling fast or just want to come out and have fun, we've got two options for you. There is the full showdown route that's 388 miles. And then we have the slowdown route. We got the showdown and the slowdown. So the slowdown is 290 miles. So whether you're just getting into it, don't want to tackle the whole thing, or just want to maybe stop and smell the roses and take some pictures and enjoy the ride a little bit more, all those things are available for you at the East Texas Showdown. No stone unturned, no person left behind. All are welcome. I have never put on a race before and I'm kind of learning as I go. Same as I guess I always do and maybe we all do. So bear with me as information and details about that event continue to come out. But I know that people are starting to plan their year and racing is going to be a part of it. People are going to be a part of it. Seeing people all that is going to be a part of this year. Can you believe it? I'm hoping to see some of y'all out there. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a get-together before the race, and then after the race, we're going to have another little party shindig there at the Bullet Grill. Details forthcoming, but we're going to party and ride bikes. You can do both. You don't have to just do one, I think. So I hope it's going to be a good time. I like fun. I hope you do too. All right, well, today's episode is with a real special guest, John Watson, who you may know as John Prawley. I'll be honest, I thought his name was John Prawley for a while because that's what he goes by on Instagram. But John Watson is the owner of the Radivist, which I'm sure you know is an excellent online resource for bike nerds like me and like you. And he covers everything from almost all aspects of the bike community. And it's an excellent resource for people who just want to chill out and enjoy 420 and look at some beautiful bike porn. Check out some of the beautiful bike shops that we have, as well as amazing articles. Uh, we talk about all the contributors that he has to the website and all the people that make the Radivist possible. I related so well to John because he started the Radivist out of passion, you know, simply that. He was working two jobs, 
well, he was working a full-time job and then doing the Radivist on the side and in between his lunch breaks and or on his lunch breaks. And I totally sympathize with that. I understand the extra work that it takes to love and have passion for something, to just do it, just to do it. And certainly the bike community has benefited from him, his efforts, his beautiful pictures, and all that they do over at the Radivist to help the bike community continue to grow, be a strong, badass community that we all love. Okay, well, today we have a special musical treat for y'all. Brad Cook sent in his version of the Bikes or Death theme song, originally performed by Miles Arbor. First, we had Ian Cherry out of New York who sent in his cover of the Bikes or Death theme song. That was originally performed on episode 63, so if you missed it, you can uh, go over there and check it out, or you can find it on the blog section of the Bikes or Death website. It's cool how this song has like inspired people to come out with their own versions. They're great to hear, and this one hits hard. Ladies and gentlemen, turn up your stereo, roll down your windows, let your hair down, and Brad Cook is going to take it away with his version of the Bikes or Death theme song. It's a lot safer right now in terms of like everyone's numbers. Um, there's there's a lot of people that came through town and like the height of when we were having like 2,400 cases a day in New Mexico and, you know, 300 deaths. And I was, you know, just... Three, 300 a day or just 300? 300 a day, yeah. Well, it was like kind of weird. There was a lot of, um, you know, in the early, like the first or second wave, a lot of prison, a lot of, um, you know, like retirement home, like hospice care centers. And then also just like a lot of like indigenous reservations were having like spikes in deaths. Okay. New Mexico in general, I think is a bit old on the older side in terms of the population. So, um, but, and we've also been like the strictest, I think in the nation in terms of like mandatory mask mandates outside. So it really sucks to ride your bike with a mask on, but it, you know, the people you bump into on the trails here are all like elderly. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then we vaccinated the reservations. I mean, just around town here, there's a handful of Pueblo tribes. I, I, I want to say like at least a dozen. And then also in town, they're like very much present. So it's, it was like this interesting dilemma where you spent, like I've spent the past 10 years traveling like seven months out of the year, just going to events shooting shooting bike race like gravel races shooting like you know frame builders shops like local rides and then you move to a new state and you're like i want to be a model citizen i want to be a good example for the community and i want to be this person that's going to like say the things that needs to be said and i've got all these friends that are nurses in the covid ward telling me these horror stories of like tourists coming to town and a lot of them like denying covid and being like yeah, it's a hoax as they're getting like ventilated you know, tube shoved down their throat. And then also the fact that like all of the 
a lot of the deaths this summer and into the fall were out-of-state tourists. But I don't know why the state did this, but the way they recorded the deaths is if you died in Santa Fe, you were a man or a woman from Santa Fe that died. Not a man or a woman from Phoenix or a man or a woman from Houston or a man or, or woman from, you know, wherever. And, you know, it was it was like a pretty steady stream of tourists coming through town. So it was like kind of hard to to balance like, you know, some random person hits you up on Instagram. Hey, I'd love to go for a ride. And you're like looking at their feed and you're like, man, you've been traveling all over <laughs> and you're young and my girlfriend's got respiratory issues where if she got COVID, it probably would be pretty rough for her. I don't even want to know what it does in the long run to people. So I'm like, I don't want to get it. So yeah. it was just kind of like, it was hard being a very social person to transition into, you know, basically like curating content instead of making content right. every day. Right. Oh and, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's I like, can, yeah, I can imagine that would be tough. Uh, well, that is a good question, and one that I wanted to ask you is how did you handle uh, COVID and the lockdown and everything? I mean, you articulated it. You went from traveling and doing all this stuff to lockdown, uh, as many of us did, um, and I guess we all had, had to adjust, and I think some of us adjusted better than others. So how, yeah. how, did you, how did you fare, and how did that affect you? Well, I mean, luckily, and you know, it was crazy because 2017, 2018, I was just like, I think when I moved to Los Angeles, I knew I was like, this just isn't the place for me. Like I'm, I'm a small town person. I loved Austin. I loved the community there. Big cities just grows competition within like friend groups. And it's just, I think a lot of times it, it, the, that competition creates like a really unhealthy environment. So I was pretty early on to living in LA, especially once I quit drinking, I was like, I got to really get out of this town. And, um, I, you know, I wanted to live somewhere above like 5,000 feet. Sorry, this is kind of like the long answer to this. To, I want to hear the long yeah. one. Yeah. So I, water is a huge issue in the American West. I mean, there's like tons of books. My favorite is Cadillac Desert. It just talks about the the geopolitical issues with water, Mulholland, particularly the Colorado River, all this stuff that's happening. So I was like, I want to be somewhere that has a sustained water source, preferably on the Colorado Plateau, not in Colorado, above 5,000 feet that has a cycling culture and, you know, isn't just like another mountain town. And Carrie's family is from here. Her great-great-grandfather had a store in Española. Um, he's buried a few blocks from our house. Her mom was born in Silver City. Great-grandmother got married in Silver City. Like, a lot I of, hear like, Silver City's nice. Silver City's amazing. I was talking to Matt Mason with the Monumental Loop. Oh, and yeah. I said... Because I'm look, I, I I like New Mexico a lot. I I'd yeah. like to. I'm considering maybe looking at buying like a retirement piece of property here. Yeah. Just because I know prices are rising, so I'm like, just buy like a little piece of land. Um, and I said, where where anywhere in New Mexico? He said Silver City. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, it's it's basically. I mean, so to give you an idea of what the the like ecotone shift is happening in the American West right now, so. Where Albuquerque is right now in terms of like weather and climate is where Tucson is currently. So like Albuquerque and Tucson have a very similar weather pattern, like, you know, heat, rain cycles, whatever. Santa Fe was where Albuquerque was like 15 years ago. So it's getting hotter yeah. and the evidence is everywhere. I mean, we were finding like horn lizards at almost 11,000 feet this summer in the Carson National Forest, like backpacking. Tiger salamanders live at like 
about the same elevation and they never leave the ponds. They just stay as like their, like they basically like when a tiger salamander hatches, it's like a, a nymph or a neophyte. I don't remember the exact term, but it's usually like lighter in color and it has external gills. As it matures, the gills like shrink inside its neck basically. And it moves out to the land and the land has to be like damp and moist and wet because it's an amphibian. It needs, it needs like wetness. So if you ever see massive populations of large tiger salamanders somewhere, it means that the land is not wet enough for them, which is like a huge warning sign. Like mm. there's all these like tiny little incremental things that happen. Roadrunners have come up from Albuquerque into Santa Fe and, and historically speaking, they are not they don't live on the Colorado plateau. They live in like the Chihuahuan and the Sonoran and the Colorado and the Mojave deserts. They're desert animals and they're coming up to like the lowland juniper and scrubland. So it's like big warning sign, all these warning flags going up about what's happening in the environment. Luckily all of our drinking water comes from snow melt up in the, the Southern terminus of the Rocky mountains. We have a little reservoir. So as long as the town is smart with its conservation and with its growth, we'll be okay versus a lot of places that are relying on the Colorado River, not so much in like the next 15 years. So it's- So like you you did some legit homework yeah. on where to settle down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a community person. I might just man. follow you. Yeah, it's totally. like in, in the retail world, it's like wherever Best Buy puts a store, like yeah. you wanna be within like a hundred feet, you know, it's like, I'm just gonna follow you around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Best Buy is a great example. I mean, like, something shifts and something changes in the climate and the the ecology of the place completely changes i mean amazon has ruined best buy and now a lot of retail is like folding because of that so it's it it is definitely something i think anyone that wants to live like west of the rockies has to really consider these these kinds of environmental impacts and also a big reason for us moving here was i was tired of having to drive to go mountain biking i was tired of having to drive to go into the mojave desert you know for three to five hours like i was every other weekend we were going out and doing these like car camping trips where part of the motivation is scouting for bike touring because like let's be honest like automotive moto and bicycle touring is all like you can pretty much do the same and all like if you can car tour somewhere you can like gravel tour if you can moto tour you can bike pack um and a lot of the books that i have are old like moto routes you know like the pony express trail like that's still like a really popular like four by four touring route, you know? Um, yeah. And then Jan Bennett actually, she created a bike packing route based yeah, on that as well. Exactly. Yeah. Her, did you see her bike at sincere cycles? No. Yeah. I was going to swing by, but they're closed today. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 I didn't, yeah. I mean, I didn't think about it being Sunday, but yeah. Yeah. And so that's like the interesting thing for me is like, I love Canyon country. I love the Mojave desert. I love like the Southwest in general. And I'm always like looking at, where have people been moto touring and like, how can that translate to bikes? And is there any way we can like link in some single track? Cause I, I mean, in a lot of areas in, in the West, like motos can ride single track. I mean, so some of the best resources are the ones that are already like kind of hounded out and they've already got like water cash spots and like basically just go out and do these trips where we're like, you know, rock hound or backpack or bike pack or do whatever and try to find some cool areas that have like some kind of geological history or something interesting going on i think you've either done this before you have a, you have my notes because we got santa fe why here 
And then how's the writing here? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Would you want to just take the next one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no. Uh, how, how is the writing here? I mean, like, obviously you're close. I've been here once and bike packed a little while ago whenever I came up to interview Bailey yep. and uh, did some bike packing here. So I know it's like super close to town. Did you guys go up into the Sangres no. or did you go out to the Caja? Yeah, we went to Caja. Yeah. It was probably, was it snowy when you were here? No, it was oh. hot. <laughs> oh, whoa, yeah. And it was it was it's pretty tough oh the caja uh -huh. oh yeah i mean super brutal yeah so the jemez mountains that caldera is basically like a volcano that sunk in yeah and created this depression i don't know if it's technically considered a graben or not which is like a depression between two like crust upheavals uplifts but this whole area the whole rio grande like all the way up through taos is just geothermal there's hot springs the Caja is all like pyroclastic, just like igneous yeah. rock. It's all like super sharp, like craggy stuff. And then you start getting up into some of the mountains here and you start seeing some of the remnants of that. You'll climb Adelaya and it'll be like kind of rosy quartz. And then you'll turn a corner and the whole trail is just like covered in a layer of pumice. And you're like, damn, some like cinder cone blew a top a while ago and it shot across town and landed in the mountain i mean it's like a simplification of it but yeah the riding is like i think it's like it's definitely the kind of riding that i prefer and that's big motivation to move here is really steep climbs i mean you can pedal up to twelve thousand five hundred feet from town and we're at seven thousand feet here yeah straight up the drainage up windsor trail which is named after a guy that built a cabin at the top of the mountain all the way up to deception peak and it's it's insane. Bailey has the fitness for that. I've made it to on a single speed. Yeah, on a single speed. <laughs> it's hard having like really really fit and fast friends, and you're like a big guy, like just you know. In well, general. I just when Matt Mason, he was on his sp single speed, and I came from elevation of four thousand feet or sea level. I mean, yeah, to four thousand feet, and yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah, especially like Matt, like he's like a. He's a desert rat. Like, I don't know if he refers to himself as that, but he knows that terrain. He's very happy in the desert. You know, he just wants to roll around in it and never leave. So yeah, I think desert rat's fair. Yeah. In general, the riding here is plentiful. It is very like geopolitically charged. Just to give you like an idea, a, a lot of people refer to like indigenous groups in like the past tense. Like this was the home of the Tiwa Pueblo this was the home of the Apache or the Comanche or wherever you are. And like, like intentionally trying to make a distinction. I, I think it's just like an ignorance thing. I think it's oh, like, okay. you know, it, and a perfect example is that app or the website native land got featured on CNN and CNN spoke about indigenous people in the past tense and native land was like, thanks for the shout out, but there's some of this is problematic. Like, and here's why. So I think it's like an education thing. I don't think any, anyone is like going out maliciously saying these things, but even just this past weekend, I learned something that I hadn't ever heard before after reading like tons of books on the whole, like, you know, ancestral Pueblo people and, you know, well, that's what it's Chaco all about Canyon. is, is learning, being open yeah. to learning. Yeah. And I mean, from your perspective, you, you're in a position where you're educating or trying to bring awareness to, I mean, lots of different things, uh, you know, geopolitical stuff all the way to cool bicycles and, yeah. and everything in between runs the gamut to <laughs> capitalism, but it's, it's, it's crazy because the, the Tsuke peak, the Pueblo recently won a federal, like, this like court case started in the 60s and they just won it a few years ago 
all water drainage from the mountain gets diverted to the Pueblo tribe, like over in Nambe and Poake. And so if you had a house in Chupadero or Tezuque with like multiple acres, like beautiful Pueblo revival architecture, like vigas, exposed vigas, which are like these timbers that come through the roofs. Suddenly your acequia, where you got your water, gets cut off and gets directed back to the tribe because they won the water drainage. Yeah. You're not allowed to have a cistern on your roof to catch rain because all that's drainage. If you don't have a well, there's pretty much no way to get water unless you pay someone to bring a truck in. And the problem <laughs> with Chupadero is it's in a canyon and a lot of the driveways are really steep and a lot of water trucks can't get in do? there. Exactly. So it's like this conflict, like the land back stuff that we talk about is incrementally piecemeal happening in like very mindful ways, like they're winning federal cases. So obviously they have to have a good case for it. And it, it's like kind of, it's pretty cool to be here, but it's also like, you have to acknowledge that I'm a gentrifier. I'm a white man. Like I moved here from a big city. I bought a house. Yeah. And I think acknowledging that is like the first stage to trying to be part of the solution, maybe not the problem, or like working yeah. with like the community and stuff like that. Just addressing what you are and also addressing, you know, what you can do. I mean, like you said, I mean, you're even talking, you're speaking very uh, knowledgeably about, about these issues. It's obvious that you know about them. You brought them up. I didn't bring them up. I don't know about this stuff. Yeah. I live in Texas where we don't <laughs> have public land. And yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. It's just like, get off my land or I'll shoot you. That's the only thing we have to deal with. So, I mean... You know, yeah. Obviously, you're um, you're 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 taking the time to care and to educate yourself. And I mean, I know from following you and from you know reading your website that you promulgate that through those sources as well. So yeah, yeah. I think there's like a responsibility anytime someone's like visiting a place. And a, a friend of ours just gave us this little short story um, last night around a campfire. And she said the the traditional way of like indigenous people, say you're Hopi and you're traveling to like Zuni lands is to acknowledge whose land you're visiting. So if you're Hopi and you're on, a, say you're going back to Chaco Canyon or, or Mesa Verde or one of these like places that are rich with like ceremony. So these like okay. ceremonial places, you enter the land and you say like, I acknowledge that I'm in the land of so-and-so. I'm visiting your land. Thank you for having me. Like I brought you something and I, I really like that. Yeah. And I think it's like something that it's really easy to get swept up in. We're going to go adventuring. We're going to go gravel. We're going to shred these trails and traveling around like all these like places, you know, we were just up in the four corners coming through Cortez. And, and I think it's just kind of like a, causes pause and like you kind of slow down a little bit and you i love that flip man it's like if yeah. you're going to a place what can you give them as a gift yeah or you know like flip the script and like i love to learn about the natural history the history i mean that's th those are things that are important and I love to emphasize the importance of educating yourself on that whenever you're by. It's part of the fun when you visit yeah. a place. It's like yeah. actually know, you know, what kind of tree is that or what kind of animal is that? You know, I mean, I get super curious. And, you know, there's a lot of history that came before, but I love the idea of giving a gift. And I will say, not to toot my own horn, but as I've gone on this journey, everywhere I've gone, anywhere I've always been van camping in a little campsite, I just pick up some trash like while I'm yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. You know, what I mean, I think that's just a simple way to take, yeah. like, go to a place and just leave it a little bit better than you found it and respect it. You know? Yeah. That's like a really easy one, I think. Yeah, and I think like the cool thing about, 
I don't know, my girlfriend and I are, we're perpetually reading signs. Like if we go somewhere and we're driving and there's like a sign on the side of the road and it's like historical marker ahead, like we'll pull over okay, and look. Yeah. And it's really funny in the West. I mean, it's not funny. It's kind of sad because it's like, this is where general such and such slayed a whole battalion of savage Indians. And you're just like, holy fuck. Okay, I'm marking this on a map and I want to come back to that later to find out what like really happened there and the significance of that. Or you're like, oh, this the sandstone looks really crazy over here. It's all swirly and like jagged. And then like you make a note and you go back and read the geological papers on that area yeah. and you realize it was like some crazy earthquake, windstorm, tornado that happened back in the Triassic period that caused the sandstone to twirl. That's what I'm talking some, about. So like kind of weird. Big Bend, you'll like this one. So Big Bend is where like the two land masses of North and South America collided. Yeah. And so you can imagine the geology that just from that force that took place, it's just so dynamic, you know, it's, it's really amazing. So those are the kinds of things when you can tie it in yeah. and you're like, it, it becomes even more meaningful and you respect it more, you take care of it more, all those things. So I assume you love a good road trip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I love riding bikes, but, you know, traveling across America to get to some of the, I mean, we have beautiful places in America. I mean, almost anywhere you oh, look. For and sure. So I love to explore, you know, our land and I'm wondering if you did. So I, I came from Tucson where I interviewed Lael and was on I-10. I got to tell you, from going from Las Cruces to Tucson all on I-10 just about killed me. Dude, like, the bypass. Just, you got to take the Gila bypass. Yeah, yeah. So on the way back, I was like, I'm taking some crazy different way. From 110, I took 180 to Reserve, New Mexico. Yep. Are you familiar yep. with that? Yeah. It's like a six-hour drive or something, and I only saw like 10 cars, yeah. and it is some of the most beautiful, it's like the most bang for your buck five hours in a car you can spend. Yeah, I mean, when you're coming out of that Sonoran like depression and you start climbing up into the mountains and the Colorado Plateau and everything, it's like everything changes so fast. It's Oh, man. I, was, it, I, I figured you'd seen that one. I It was everything I could do not to stop every five minutes and take another goddamn picture. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, we just drove through like, you know, sh we came back from Cortez and drove down through like Shiprock and across to Farmington past like, you know, the Bisty Badlands and Chaco Canyon. And it's all, that was basically the whole San Juan Basin was just like a swamp on top of lakes. And so it's all just like fossils of petrified wood, grasses. We were camping in, in Lybrook and uh, about a quarter mile from where we were camping apparently is like a massive field just filled with like alligator skin fossils and turtle shell fossils and all this crazy stuff. Oh, for when it used to be, a, okay, yeah. when it used to be yeah. an ocean. I was like, how did it get there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. every, all this, I mean, it's. That's awesome. And yeah. I think that's like the, that's the thing that we I tried to do with the website was like talk about bikes, but also bring in a little bit of like the geological history, the indigenous history, kind of weird kooky folklore stuff. Like that's why I love Death Valleys because it's just, mm -hmm. there's so many stories to be told about that place. And that, yeah, it's just kind of like, I've got an idea for a ride I want to do just from going out car camping on this road trip or whatever that we did. It seems limitless ago. out here. I can imagine yeah. you spend the rest of your life. And I mean, it's just, limitless the hardest part about out here is just the land ownership and this is like where as cyclists we can get into a lot of trouble because you look at something like onyx or like gaia has like a land ownership map and 
especially in places of like culturally significance, cultural significance, whatever. Um, <laughs> you'll you'll see like it's like a checkered board of ownership. So it'll like one plot of land will be Dine or like Navajo. One part will be Hopi, Zuni, Pueblo, State of New Mexico, BLM, federal. And so a lot of times, Matt might have even touched on this. A lot of times someone will come in and buy a plot of land that has an access road through it and they'll throw a gate up mm. and cutting you off from access to public lands. Yeah. And technically it's trespassing for you to go over that gate, even though it's illegal. So that's the hard part about like planning or looking at like making rides or tours or whatever out here is just- Cause it can change. Yeah, I mean, dude, you could out in the Caja, like you could be riding out Buckman towards the Rio Grande and on a map, there's a road that goes basically from Buckman Road over to Española, dirt. And you can be like, oh, I'm gonna take this road over to Española and then that's the perfect way to get into the Jemez or through like Los Alamos, like where they designed and engineered the bomb. And you get to the road and it's the like- The atomic bomb? Yeah, the atomic bomb. That like one, that, okay. Yeah. New Mexico has the nukes, like, and it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Well, we were just at White Sands, oh, you know, yeah. missile, whatever. Yeah. Over, so, yeah, I got some of the history from Matt on that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Los Alamos, the lab, they call it. I mean, if you read, like, comic books and, like, that's how Dr. Manhattan was formed out in the Manhattan Project. So, but, yeah, so you riding down this road and suddenly hit a gate and it's like, you are on Pueblo land, like, no trespassing. And you're like, but that road is only, like, a mile long. If I can just, and it's like, you make the moral, ethical decision. You're like, do I want to continue a behavior of the previous colonizers and poach this, or am I going to do the right thing and turn around? And that's where cycling is, I think, in the Southwest. And that's the thing that we all have to kind of like rectify and try to understand a little bit. Like land ownership, even if it's wrong, even if it's a cattle rancher that goes in and buys something, it's weird. It's a very like sticky subject for sure. I have to plead ignorance again from being from Texas. I'm, yeah. I'm aware that these are issues, but I'm not as intimately aware of them as you are. I mean, do you have like more thoughts on on how to approach it or maybe what you do personally or do you not want to? <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I don't, I don't, like when I get a microphone in front of me, I don't lie. I don't like hide anything. Oh, yeah. Texas, I remember I poached a dirt road that cut across from like, I think it was like Dripping Springs over to like another country road so that I could avoid riding on the side of a highway. And I got shot at. Oh. Yeah. And the guy came down in like a side-by-side with a fucking like hunting rifle and was like, fuck are you doing? And I told him and I was like, I don't have lights. I'm trying to get back to Austin as fast as I can. And if I go that way, I have to go another 20 miles or I can just cut across this. Um, I did see the no trespassing sign, but I looked and whatever. You know, it was a bad call on my part. Yeah. The guy was nice, but he still forced me to go back the way I came and all the way around. Oh, man. But in California, a lot of times you'll see these like, especially like in NorCal where there's a lot of like pot farms and stuff and like the state of Jefferson where there's a lot of libertarians that just want to be left alone. There'll be a perfectly public easement, a road, a public road, and there will be a gate with a no trespassing sign on it. You have every legal right to go through that I've gate. heard of those roads. Yeah. You don't want to go through them. <laughs> yeah, they're, I, they're honestly, they're fine. Oh, the main I've thing- I've heard of the ones up in like uh, Humboldt County, I yeah, guess, in Northern California, where they'll just like take over some public land. It's just like- mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. That, that might and, be a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the same thing happens here in New Mexico, but I think that's where it's like on the individual to educate themselves about- is this guy just putting a gate up because he doesn't want a bunch of like people dumping trash on his property, which happens out in public lands here a lot? Or is it like legitimate 
legal. And so technology is in our pockets. Just yeah, what plan are the ahead. best resources yeah. for that? Yeah, like Onyx is a free app. Gaia has a a, a map. If you're going to go do a bike ride that you've planned and on Google Maps. how accurate are those? Do you oh, they're feel? very accurate. Okay. Yeah. I mean. Um, Again, everything in Texas is private land, so I don't even have yeah. to ask. Yeah, you know? yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, we use it when we're camping. So if we're like driving and we're tired, I'll just open up the app and say, okay, there's some BLM land over here. Yeah. And that means Bureau of Land Management for people. Um, there's like, you know, obviously there's the Black Lives Matter movement yes. when you say okay. BLM. So um, <laughs> good distinction, important uh, distinction. Yeah. So, you know, any kind of national forest, usually like car camping's fine. It's, you know, leave no trace, whatever. We just pull over and fall asleep in the truck and oh, yeah. continue driving in the I morning. I love that. Yeah. I've been doing that this whole time. I just hop on like iOverlander or freecampsites.net. Yeah. And it's like, man, this is epic. Like, I don't know. I get jealous. I'm like, why don't we have anything like this? Yeah. Texas is, man. It's rough. It's just rest stations or loves parking lots or something. Yeah. That's it. Walmarts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like living there, man. I mean, we trespassed into some pretty amazing like sinkhole <laughs> like limestone swimming pools when i lived there and and then my friends started getting popped and you know facing i don't know i think it's just a misdemeanor but still you're, you're facing a misdemeanor or like you're spending the night in jail and like you know these like small towns i'm like i don't want to do that at a certain point i was just like i need to just move somewhere where like there's actual public land because i'd come on these like trips you know we'd go do like a rock shocks product launch in moab or something and you drive out there and then on the way home you like find out about some cool hot spring or you camp at city of rocks in southern new mexico and then you hit big ben and you camp there and go down to the rio grande hot springs and come back and then you're in texas and it's like well i guess i'm driving straight through to austin because i don't want to <laughs> sleep in the back of my truck in a walmart um yeah exactly but that was a pretty good segue into um i want to obviously get into the rat of this and kind of intentionally i don't know a lot about you and i think a lot of people in general don't know a lot about you yeah. i did that little instagram query and I got a lot of questions, actually. I got more than I usually do. People are like pretty interested in you, I think, because you're the guy behind the lens, behind the yeah. website and stuff. And I don't think you're like in hiding or anything, but I mean, no, you're, it's no. just by nature of what you do. So from my perspective, like I know you were in Austin. I know at some point you were an architect mm -hmm. and you know, you went out to LA and you came here and then somewhere in there you started the Radivist and you let go of architecture. So yeah, yeah. if you just want to kind of fill in some details and kind yeah, of give totally. a little history for my benefit and probably a lot of people interested in hearing about it. Yeah. So yeah, I went to University of North Carolina, Charlotte for architecture, did the five-year program, graduated with a, a bachelor of architecture and a minor in philosophy, like American studies, which is like film and urban planning, because when you're doing a five-year program to keep your student loan financial aid thing, you have to still be doing 40 credit hours. And by the time I got into my third year, I'd already completed all of my, I was like taking classes in the summer and stuff. So I just started taking a bunch of minors. And then I went over to visit a friend who was living in Rotterdam after architecture school and visited like all of my like Starkitect buildings that I loved, you know, like Rem Coolhouse, UN Studio, all these European theorists that were just building these really cool buildings that all of us American architecture students always looked up to. And just, we just basically rode bikes all around Holland and, you know, stopping in towns and eating like bread and cheese and just like clapped out pigeons you know like these dutch cruiser bikes uh in college i was riding mountain bikes and road bikes and stuff like that too i kind of 
Seriously up. or fun? I, I've never really been serious about bikes. Like yeah. just all fun. Like um I think it it's was the right be- answer. I love that yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bikes for me were back when I was a little kid and I saved up money and bought a mongoose BMX was like a way to get away from, you know, my parents or like rules or whatever. We'd go out in the woods and build dirt jumps and, Amen, yeah, you know, whatever. And then I got a beach cruiser where my skateboard locked into the handlebars and I could put a surf rack on it and go to the beach. And like, if it was flat, I'd skate. If there were good waves, I'd whatever, you know, it's just, I think that's the thing is there's like this weird thing in America where bikes is like a when you're a kid are like a liberation tool and then we're fed this doctrine that you have to have a car to continue that liberation and mm. it's like well nothing really changed i have a job to pay for my car but like what if i didn't i don't know it's a it's you know a quagmire i agree like i feel like as a 41 year old i'm a little bit ahead of you i'm oftentimes chasing that 8 10 12 year old boy that was building derp jumps yeah. in the woods and like would just go and i would like hitting up drainage ditches and like just exploring and wandering and not with any purpose intent other than having fun and satisfying curiosities and stuff so yeah i find that i'm often like seeking that guy or that kid yeah yeah so i, I went came back from holland and was like i don't want to work for these like southern architectural developers anymore there's a lot of racism there's a lot of good old boy bullshit oh sure and so i all through school i was doing construction and like design build stuff with offices and went up to new york city and it was like i got jobs handed to me left and right because i actually knew the true dimensions of a two by four because i had that experience and a lot of the i mean a lot of that stuff they just don't teach you in school because they assume that the the practice is going to teach you but people care about billable hours so like if you don't know how to do an architectural drawing or a construction document, like you can't bill that to a client. So I was already like ahead of other people in my age group. So I got a bunch of job offers, landed at some really cool offices, didn't have a car, just rode my bike everywhere, started like riding fixed gear track bikes, started doing like the fixed freestyle thing and documenting the culture of New York and frame builders and like people making bags in their apartments and what year is this for perspective 2004 2000 i think i started the website 2005 and back then it was called probably is not probably and it was more about just the street culture of new york city man like going to gallery openings riding your bike there like seeing Let's some start, cool stuff so along Prawley's the way not what is that because it ties yeah. in your instagram name which is another question i yeah. had so let's just yeah, clear yeah. all that up real quick so my nickname was probably like he's probably gonna take your picture yeah, he's, he's probably, probably gonna kind of a it's it's like a long story okay. um <laughs> but you know i hung out with like a older kids in architecture school because they felt like the kind of people that i was like hanging out with growing up like surfer guys just were super fun i don't know i just i liked i had obviously had friends in my year but i liked the guys in the year above me and they just had this thing where they would just say probably just to kind of like piss off the people that like the discourse in school is like someone will spend 12 minutes talking about something and not really say anything just using all these like catchphrases especially in architecture school it's Mm -hmm. like how well do you talk about it not necessarily like how do you talk about it so we would just kind of pick up this prowly, this tick. So someone would say, I really believe that Louis Barragon w- was trying to do this like informal play and w- and they would finish up their dissertation or whatever on Barragon and we would just go prowly. <laughs> and so as I'm hanging out with all these like hardcore kids and we're going to like metal shows and punk shows and they all had like names like 
Dan Death and Josh Stomp or whatever. And um, so people were like, hey, John's going to... Altered romance was Boltar, I yeah, think. Yeah, Boltar, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. So they're like, hey, we're going to go see like the Prayer for Cleansing reunion show at Tremont. John's looking for a ride. John who? Oh, John Prolly. So it just like kind of came like that. And so Prolly to me was like, like when I started the site, my 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 intention for like all the bike media stuff is not making a very literal brand that says you know bikes or whatever cyclists like, like you know just, no no just, <laughs> I just always was like you know I I don't want it to say bike anything I just kind of want it to be like a little less serious like Shredder a little bag. less obvious no judgment whatsoever oh no I'm but <laughs> um so i was like my nickname's probably and like let's just do this thing like probably is not probably and i just never really into like anticipated it going off and then i became like the what was it at first photography blog kinda? yeah it was just it was literally just riding bikes in new york city going to like gallery shows doing some stuff on architecture just kind of like whatever it was i was interested in and then like you know like the track bike thing blew up in like 2000 seven or whatever 2006 and so we were in new york i was shooting people's bikes going to alley cat races the photos were horrible but like i was out there doing it and then i was visiting frame builders making stuff in brooklyn and going to nabs and going to all these like events all over and i just really started to feel like i was documenting a part of cycling that wasn't being documented in like velo news or bicycling or any of these other like more mainstream uh media sources in the same sense, like being like having opinions, sometimes very strong opinions about things. And I think in my age and my maturity, I've like learned to like tone it back a bit more with like Atmo, you know, and less like hard rules. And uh, economy crashed 2008. I lost my job. Basically, I was just on Twitter and I was like, man, it sucks being an architect, spending all this time and money getting your degree and going through like my my boss had kind of screwed us over too. So we, like we lost all of our billable hours and it was like, I either try to salvage my career or I just do this website thing full time. And then some brand like DM'd me and was like, hey, I'd love to buy an ad on your blog. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. You can do that? Yeah. <laughs> so I just started selling ads and then how long did it take before you got to that stage? I think I was probably doing it for probably like two years, like full time. Like on my lunch breaks at work, I would work on website content. On the weekends, it's like what I was doing. I what was, was, what was driving that? Just a passion for it? I mean, obviously you weren't making money. I mean, just love bikes. Just geeking out on yeah. it. Just really loved it. Yeah. It's, it was again, it was like there's so many of these talented, wonderful people that are doing really cool shit. And these like races are crazy. These like alley cats, like brakeless track bikes, bombing Broadway, like all these, <laughs> yeah. all these guys have been doing it like their whole lives. It wasn't like the fixed gear thing wasn't a fad to them. It was like, you know, and you're hanging out with these guys, these like Jamaican messengers at parties and stuff. And it's just like riding an Eddie Merckx, like guy with dreadlocks, like smoking a massive blunt. And you're like talking to this guy and you're just, his stories about like where he came from. I really started to feel like bikes were the vessel for storytelling that a lot of media had kind of overlooked and reduced them to like grams and improvements, incremental, whatever that stupid catchphrase is. And then I just started like documenting frame builders, like people that the industry didn't make a bike that they liked, so they made their own. And and then I moved to Austin in 2010 because I missed mountain biking. I missed like being outdoors. I don't know why I thought Austin was going to be like 
And Austin is great. I mean, the mountain biking was great. Like we did tons of bike tours, put a lot of miles in on highways. And once I got to Austin, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of like this website just being about me and my opinion. We were getting a lot of fucking traffic. It was like a big thing. And it was always really hard anytime someone asked what your cycling website was called and you're like, probably is not probably. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so we did this project before I left New York with uh, Seth Roscoe and Johnny Coast with this videographer, filmmaker, Sarah Kinney. And it was all about the atavistic urge of like, you know, it's like why a sea otter will like slide down a rock, even if it's not gonna go towards its like breeding or its food. Why do dolphins surf a wave? What, you know, dogs will get sick if they don't play. And it's just this like inherent nature for living things to play. And atavism is a throwback or a calling to like an older form of storytelling, like sitting around a campfire, these like autodidactic raconteurs that we have. And I just really wanted the site to be multiple opinions and multiple people and faces, kind of like unedited raw. Like if someone wants to write about having their period on a bike tour, I'm not gonna edit that out because yeah, it's that's, important. That's If someone wants to complain about white privilege in the coronavirus or how the name of a race offends them or their sexual discrimination and you know misogyny they've dealt with as like an athlete, it's not about me at that point. It's so I think it went from being a site about me to opening it up to more people. And there were like massive holes in the industry that just no one was covering bike touring, really. No one was covering bike packing in its early day. I mean, we were riding from New York City down to Philly to go to the Philly Bike Expo in its early days on a road bike with Revelate bags. And like, it was just a thing. It was like, okay, I'm gonna ride my bike from New York down to Philly. Cause you know, and then I'll take the train back. Cause why not? Why don't we link all these little like towpaths together? You get to ride through some beautiful, like kind of Northeastern landscapes and move to Texas. And everyone's like super serious about road racing or super serious about mountain biking. And I'm like trying to pull these cool guys that I'm like <laughs> hanging out with. Hey, let's go, let's go on a bike tour. So we like, Went from Austin all the way to Colorado Bend State Park, which is like 120 miles in one sitting, and then camped at the state park for like two or three nights, ran out of food. Some Boy Scouts gave us a bunch <laughs> of like Lunchables. I love it. And then we rode all the way back. And it was like, and we just, the guy I went with had a backpack, like a backpacking backpack on his road bike. I had a touring bike at that point with like panniers on the front. And that's just kind of like how just the evolution of, as bikes became more specific, you know, we got gravel bikes, same thing went with cyclocross bikes. We were like riding single track on cyclocross bikes, skidding corners on fire roads, like all that imagery that, that's like you see now is like stuff that, I mean, I don't want to take, I'm not going to take credit for anything, but like we were, I was definitely shooting photos of people <laughs> skidding corners on single track or on, sorry, on fire roads. And now you open up every fucking, like there can't be a gravel product without like a skidding corner on a fire road. And yeah. it's it's really cool to just see the kind of progression of, of these things, so. How hard was it for you to make that transition from having that career stability? Obviously your stability went away real quick. Um, yeah. And then you trans, but I mean, it sounds like you're only about two years into it. You're working really hard at it. You maybe had one ad guy. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, how hard was it to make that transition? I mean, I, I was broke for a really long time and I was really uncertain. Like I always kind of had my foot in architecture. Like I was either doing freelance building informational modeling stuff like BIM with various programs or or doing renderings for developers or uh, wireframe 
you know, 3D models of like friends' kitchens just to help them like problem solve things. So what's that called? You were like just doing your own thing. Like freelance. Freelance. Like, that's yeah. the word I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. freelancing. Yeah. A little I was bit just freelancing. Yeah. And then eventually like um, we started like covering nabs and stuff and we were just like doing it in a capacity, or I say we, it was me covering <laughs> nabs and I was doing it at a capacity that I don't think many people had seen. And so the site was just really gaining momentum and more and more companies were just like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month on an ad. And my girlfriend at the time in Austin owned her house. So like her parents like bought her a house. So she pretty much was just like, just pay the property tax. And when I moved to Austin, the property tax was like 300 bucks a month or something. And then by the time I left, it was like almost a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And you're like, it's not, I mean, it is white people moving into like the east side of Austin that caused gentrification, but the government is backing that push by raising property tax value on people of color and communities. So it was like, I saw it happen. I saw the tech boom. I saw Governor Perry like lift all corporate tax for California tech. And I saw oil and gas move in, skyscrapers started going up. And now when we go back to Austin and my girlfriend's from there, she's just like, I don't even recognize this place Yeah, it's anymore. a different place. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I grew up in College Station, which is an hour and a half away from Austin. So as a youngster, you know, the first thing you do with a driver's license at 16 is go to 6th Street. Yeah. And, oh, uh, totally. you know, spend some time. And I was a skater kid in those days. So yeah. we were just skating downtown Austin and tearing it up. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was different. Austin's still cool. I mean, I love to go visit Austin. I want to shit on Austin, but it is a different place. Yeah. That's, no one can argue with the fact there's still a really great vibe in Austin. There's great people, great writing, but it's fucking grown. But to go from like dazed and confused to like, yeah. like, mini Some, la or what? like houston i wouldn't even call it like la it was just like it's what people think la is supposed to be like is what they're trying to create in these cities yeah. and the thing that they don't realize about los angeles is the dynamicism and beauty and color that that gives la this like this gravity is it's not money it's not like i mean it's honestly like not even white people like a lot of the most wonderful cities in america are made colorful and beautiful by you know bipoc residents i mean Fuck man, go to go to the south, go to where I'm from. It's like the good food there didn't come from like some white lady's kitchen, you know, or white Her guys cornbread kitchen. casserole yeah, really I mean, got you and won you over, didn't yeah. it? That don't meatloaf. Even, don't even tell me about no Lexican Lexington style barbecue and pulled pork and and like Brunswick stew and you know, all that stuff. Fried chicken. I mean, the most beautiful parts of the South were were definitely from the black community. And I think that is true in Houston. I mean talk about like dj screw and like slow low and bang and man like Dang, that's dj screw yeah, that's you know, way like, back yeah. i love it <laughs> yeah that's a shout out to peru in this you know but yeah. uh yeah i mean all my all my friends down there were like oh and, peru you got a shout yeah, out peru um <laughs> all my friends in texas were just they were just all about having fun on bikes it didn't matter what kind of bike we were riding and if you know bmx fixed freestyle mountain bike road bike and it was just a really awesome place so we touched on a little bit Obviously, it was a one-man show for a long time. We're actually sitting in your office in Santa Fe, and there's one desk. I see a lot of inventory. Is it still a one-man show? Like, Oh, yeah. So we moved in this office about a month ago, and we are patiently awaiting more product. COVID has just taken time. So this is like the tail end of typically like boxes are stacked like we this all this was in like a guest room in our house and mm -hmm. like it was like a box fortress yeah. just like <laughs> bottles and shirts and like stuff so i met carrie my partner in 2015 and like 
our first date was car camping at the Kelso Dunes in the Mojave Preserve. And it was just like I had met the person that I just felt like myself around her. Yeah. I'm going to probably get kind of teary-eyed. But okay. uh, no, she's just, she's an amazing human. She's She went to UT for um, design. So she's got a you know graphic design degree. She worked in the outdoor industry for about 10-ish, 10 to 15 years. And she's a sign painter. She went to actual sign painting school, like one of the last colleges in the country that teaches sign painting. So she's like part of our trip. My trip is like, oh, I wonder where this double track goes, if it goes around to this other road or if it goes by like whatever. Like when I'm out on a trip and I'm like looking at maps and trying to figure out like where we can ride bikes, she's like looking at this paintbrush Jasper that she found mixed with this like cool little like crypto soil texture. And she's like taking photos of all these colors and textures and we'll stop when we see a cool sign and like document it, or we go into like used bookstores and find old books. So like she really helped create this imagery and this like feel and look of the Radivist where it's like there, we don't have bikes on our products. We have animals and we have like weird designs and like, an animal that doesn't even exist that we just made up with my <laughs> friends at land. Like we just got really stoned and I showed them this image from like a grim fairy tale book. And I was like, I want this thing, but like not eating the milk maiden, you know, it was like this kind of crazy photo of like this jackal like thing with like a long tail. So we just created like all this, like this mythos surrounding the brand. Cause it's like, when I'm riding my bike, I'm looking at like the Blainsville horn lizards that are running off the road or the striped racer snake that's like out there or, you know, I would always see Southern Pacific rattlesnakes on my rides in the San Gabriels. And I've, I was like, we're going to fucking put that on a bottle. We're going to put that on a sock. I like, might do chipmunks. I saw a bunch of chipmunks oh, on the way yeah. over here. I might take the chipmunks. I want to put that out Ground there. Ground squirrel, chipmunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> so Carrie like started just land of, have, you know, they've done like the branding for that brand Polar back in the day, yeah. back when Benji owned it. I and, saw you, you, cause you actually uh, tag them in your products. Like this yeah. was designed by land, which I think yeah. is really cool of you to do that. So I went and like checked them out and like, I mean, obviously I like what you guys, so I'm like, what's, what's old John doing? What's probably doing? Yeah. They're crazy. I mean, land is crazy and they've been like knocked off and copied relentlessly. And like their game has always just been to like stay ahead and like reinvent themselves. And Caleb and Ryan are, and their whole team are just amazing humans. The work they've done for us is like, they really got what we were trying to do. Like I remember sitting down in the meeting with them about the animal and they're like, you want your bike website to have this fucked up weird looking animal as its logo. Like you don't want like a word bike or something <laughs> in, included in that. And I was like, no man, it's an animal. Like I want people that don't even ride bikes, but are just like stoked on the energy that we put out to want to buy a hat and like wear it. We took the word radical and atavism and made the radivist, you know? And it's like a lot of people don't even know what that is, but I get, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are like four wheelers or do like four by four oh, stuff. Sure. And um Yeah, they can wear your shit. Yeah, they like, put a hat on and like it's it's weird. There's like some AP reporter wearing one of the hats when he was like shooting photos of Alex Jones at the uh no way, at the rally? Yeah, and and I just saw the jackal like in a field no of way. like MAGA hats and the kid had a camera up and then I was like, that guy gets it. It's like <laughs> not that it, you know, he wasn't like supporting all that kind of stuff, but so probably just, not with one of your hats on. No, 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 no. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. No, but um, yeah. So we've just like, you know, like oh, last year, um, you know, I moved to New Mexico, and I was like, I want to start like 
there's a lot of amazing artists here and I just want to start reaching out to some of the people and Matt at Monumental Loop had this woman Colette down in um, Las Cruces design uh, some stuff for him and I reached out to her and I was like hey can hop on a zoom call I told her about what we did what we were you know what kind of website what kind of behavior we promote you know shred lightly is like a, a mantra that like I really I don't want to see like videos of people skidding single track like I just don't yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing. And so we we talked and she's like, cool, yeah. And I was like, I really want like a Sidewinder, like a rattlesnake with like the word shred lightly in the snake. And I, I just want that to be like, you know, I love Sidewinders. I love rattlesnakes. And she's, so she's, she's been super busy because like a lot of BIPOC artists, it's like the Black Lives Matter movement happened. And it's like, suddenly they're doing stuff for like, tourism boards, transportation boards, like everything, like everyone's tapping her for work. And so I think that was like September of last year. And she's like, yeah, it'll look really cool on a sleeve of a shirt. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like the other shirts that we did with horn lizards marching down the sleeves. Like she got it. She was like, this is really cool. Like I get it. Like I like the imagery. It's, and so, yeah, we've just kind of made a brand and it's all thanks to Carrie and, you know, Caleb and Ryan at land for getting it and the colors that carry picks are like we're pretty low on stock. are y'all uh i mean are you the sole employee yeah of, yeah and I do. so you're you're outsourcing yeah. obviously to help with design carrie's helping obviously a lot yep. with branding yeah which is awesome because your branding is so fucking good I oh mean, thanks obviously man. yeah so shout out to carrie i mean yeah i didn't know who it was but i mean it's like god damn that's some good she's you she's, know if you put your branding with your photography on a website it's like okay cheers. you know it's a pretty pretty good combo so i i should also say it and give credit where it's due I am more like the editor. I've got, and I, I hate saying I've got or they're my, but like I, there are people that have contributed. I struggle because I have like an assistant. I'm like, I even asked her the other day. I'm like, what should I call you? I don't want to call you my yeah. assistant. I want my helper. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, but I know what you're yeah, saying. It's, it's like, like I have a, there's somebody that helps me with, with stuff. Language <laughs> matters. And it's important to have these conversations with people. So you're, you're on the right. You're on. I, yeah. Yeah. She I think, said I could call her my assistant, but I still feel weird about it. So anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's go like ahead. Carrie, like I call, like she's not really my girlfriend at this point. We've been engaged for two years, but like she, she gave me like a rock, a feather and a flower to, and asked me to marry her. And we're just like, we just don't take that. We don't take like the construct of marriage, like very seriously. We're not going to have a big wedding. We're just gonna have a big ass party somewhere. I don't know. But, um, so she's my partner, girlfriend. She does all the ad sale stuff because it's really hard when you're like a dude that owns a website and you're hitting up people that you know at companies, you're like, hey, man, your invoice is like 90 days past due. What's up? And they're like, oh, bro, it's cool, man. We'll get it to you. And Carrie's just like, she she kind of like said, I don't remember what TV show we were watching, but some guy just like walked into a club and pistol whipped the owner and was like, where's my fucking money? Yeah. And Carrie's like, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do. But <laughs> granted, she does it in a much more polite way. But It's um, tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. She's and she's been awesome. It's hard. It's hard to be the person providing the content because you're wanting to maintain that relationship. You're the guy that should be a phone call. Yeah. And the money phone call is at the fun phone call. Yeah. So that's good to separate. Yeah. That. Talk to me about the products you've got coming out, ideas you have for yeah. some stories, or like a race that you're sponsoring, or an athlete that you think is cool. Talk to Carrie about the money, and then so then I've got. You know, Lael and Rue do a lot of stories for us. Spencer Harding, uh, Morgan, Meredith, fucking Ryan Wilson, which I just think is the best 
cycling content in the entire world. Like his photos are insane. His stories are insane. He's been living off his bike in like South America and Turkey and Asia for years. He's the only overlander I know because, you know, overlanding, the actual definition of that is self-sustained travel that lasts for months to years and crosses multiple international borders. Ah, so, so the four-wheeler guys just it's proliferated just a little bit. Yeah, it's just car camping. Yeah, like, okay. And I always look to the Aussies and the South Africans and just call it touring. So it's like, oh, we got my tour set up or whatever, like, or we're going to go four-wheeling. Like they're overlanding in the U.S. is just like, it's kind of like the term like gravel and bikepacking where it just like refers to the, like the ambiguous nature of something without like really getting into the specificity or the right. disambiguation of the word. And that's a whole nother conversation. But so I've got all these guys, like guys and girls and, you know, Alexandra Huchin has written for us a bunch. Uh, I talked to, you know, her whenever she's got some ideas. Uh, Renee Hutchins has been like a great, she's Dine, she's Navajo. Yeah. Her and I have talked about, uh, you know, just what the work she's doing with companies. I'm like, you're a consultant. You're going to save brands thousands of dollars of like, PR fumbles because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't know how to talk about the land and, and sure. uh, you know, so these people like get it and they're like, it's not competition. I mean, with Layla, it's competition, but they, they just want to have fun with bikes and they're exceptional storytellers and photographers. But Layla, Layla has fun in competition. Uh, yeah. So she yeah. can do both. Yeah. Not all of us can do that, yeah. but she can. She's always smiling. She's always got a great perspective. Rue is like, the hardest worker in cycling period. Like the fact that she can keep up with Lael and people are like, yeah, but she's on an e-bike. I was like, oh, she's that. carrying like 30 pounds with the camera gear, including a Mamiya medium format camera in this bag and like blowing photographers away that like follow cyclists in cars and motos. Like, okay. I talked to Rue because I met up with Rue and Lael yesterday and Rue wasn't on mic for this, but we were just chatting prior and i and i was thinking about as i was driving to interview Lael, i'm like you know what if there's ever an argument for somebody who deserves an e-bike it's rue yeah because how many people period on the planet can keep up with Lael? like trans am nobody yeah. you know like it's like very few people on the entire planet and she's out there like you said she has to zoom ahead set up for the yeah. shot zoom back catch up meter thing. a lot meter. of stuff she's doing is like film too and it's yeah. not and those those cameras she's using aren't ttl they're not through the lens metering that's like you got a meter you got to like calculate for everything you got to hope a car isn't going to pass her at the last minute or it's a cool way to be able to document, like we were talking about it, because typically you're going to have like a Jeep or something and you're going to be out the back yeah. shooting, yeah. which, and if you can replace that with a car and it makes sense to do that, or you can replace that with an e-bike yeah. and it makes sense, fuck yeah. Like, I mean, I have destroyed my body <laughs> photographing gravel races. I mean, Grinduro is like a, it's a party ride, but you still got to stay in the front of the pack to get like, the big massive photo photos of like hundreds of cyclists like just coming up this dirt road like you have to be able to hustle to get ahead of everyone and then a few years ago this woman debbie that manages stuff for the sierra buttes who hosts all like those lost and found down evil the old grinduro format was like we got you something and she brought in this like cannondale e-bike and i was like oh my god i can finally like shoot a race without feeling like I'm dead the next day and like 
without and you're just you perform better when you're not like exhausted i mean yeah, as a photographer i, I mean i i you know i'm kind of trying to create some content and got into photography and i pretend but I, you know so i'm doing that where I, you know try yeah. to rush ahead and they <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> we're all just pretending man it's oh, like good. not yeah i'm great i'm glad well yeah. i don't think there's one it's like you you know we articulate with your story i mean there isn't a single road path i talked to leo yesterday i mean she is a legit professional ultra endurance cyclist that is her title there's not many of them in the world right no, like, it's true you know so not many women either in the world doing it and like with the results that she is like she's yeah. she's a She's, she's a an unicorn. exceptional human being. I yeah, think. a unicorn. Yeah, she's a unicorn. She's a unicorn. Not That's to it. like give her like a like sparkly little girl symbol, but like you know, no unicorn in unicorns uh, are mythical. Metal as fuck. Yeah, mythical yeah. creature. Like unicorn that only in comes legend. around one. Yeah, yeah a legend. Totally. Yeah. No, yeah. I told her she was an all star yesterday, and she took offense. I'm like, nah, fuck that. You're yeah. you're a superstar in this world that you're in. You are the superstar. You know. I'm gonna make Bailey throw his phone right now and call him like an inspirational person too. Like, yeah. That. And I think it's the people that are the most inspirational that like take that compliment the least well or to yeah. heart or. So many, like Bailey's always like, man, if someone has, if someone says this to me again, like I'm going to throw my phone and I'm like, Bailey, people look up to you and respect you. Like, that's a wonderful thing. And and he's so humble about it. He won the op uh, my episode of the year. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I said I did the bikepacking awards and people's choice was Bailey. And uh, whenever I was looking for someone to interview here, I knew you were here, but you were out of town. So I was like, all right, well, who else? And uh, Bailey was like, you got to go see him. He's like the nicest, most humble guy. I'm sure, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> they don't like to hear it, but I don't know. It, it is what it is, and it, it's okay to say it. <laughs> and I think it's also like a reason. I like doing interviews like this because I think it like kind of lifts the veil a bit on the wizard or whatever, but I, in general, want to be behind the camera. I don't want to be in the front. I don't want the site to be about me. I yeah. don't and especially after like last, I mean, we've been pushing for like inclusivity and diversity. I'm not patting ourselves on the back. Everyone has a lot of work to do, including us, but like we have really tried to tell stories that aren't being told and to bring people to light and to allow people to have an unedited like column on the site. And so I'm like, it's, it's not about me like at all. Sure. Like, I'm just the guy that's like pulling the strings in the background and like shooting some photos and stuff. And, Sure, I have like moments where, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna go do this bike tour and I'm gonna bring my 35 millimeter camera and I'm gonna spend a lot of time writing the story. And then I also have moments where I just go shoot someone's bike and it takes like, you know, an hour to pull that together. But for me, I always want, I want the focus of the site to be on these other people that I'm giving the platform to. Sure, and this is my turn to toot your horn and, and point out that, you know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into where you are now to be able to be in a position to, to do that, you know, like, so I get what you're saying about it. It's important not to like focus on you, but I like what you said about lifting the veil a little bit because it is nice to know about the people who are like running the Radivist, you yeah. know, like we know the Radivist, we know the brand, but it's nice to know that like you worked your fucking ass off that, you know, when, when life was like kind of kicked you and you like lost your job and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to put myself into this and like work hard. And I love it when people, regardless of what it is, if you can find a way to create your own path in life, create your own, like turn your passion into something that can like 
yours is doing good in the world and providing a job for you, you know, like, and I pay every single person that like puts yeah. pen to paper, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. All those people the, are, yeah. Are getting paid. I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't know that, but I mean, I assumed that's yeah. kind of the way, the way that works. <laughs> it's super fucked up when it's like such and such company, like asked me to do this story and they like, it, they didn't even offer to pay. And then when I, like, I hear this talking to people all the time and I'm like, Usually in the first sentence, we pay. So like, I'm not asking you to do this for free. Yeah, you know. And there are large magazines and large companies that don't fucking pay these like BIPOC authors that they're benefiting from. And it's like a weird, it's a really weird thing. It's like I was an architect. You know, I would work like fucking eighty hours a week, and I was making like when I left New York City, I was running projects and I was making sixty grand a year, and I was in the industry for a long time, and we were running like multi-million like 20 million dollar projects and i was in there from six in the morning until like 10 at night just well, you're about probably rich because you didn't have any time to spend it yeah well no and then rent in new york <laughs> oh, is then, insane oh you were in new york yeah, never I was mind in new york city yeah no it was <laughs> you were working 80 yeah. hours a week just to eat and survive uh, Dude, and i still get emails from companies that are like we want a two-minute video one-minute audio 20 social media posts photos we can use for worldwide distribution and we'll send you $800 worth of product. And I'm like, how about I do all that for $5,000? <laughs> and then they just go quiet. But that's what it's worth. And yeah. it's like, and I think the beauty of Instagram is, I mean, that's how I found out about tons of like, like talented individuals. Like, I'm like, if you're going to shoot a photo and tag at the Radivist, that means you know the site. So I'm going to reach out to you, build a relationship, make sure you've got everything. Like Danny and Carla down in Mexico, it's like, Danny just sent me a note. He needs a tire. I'm going to dig through my tires, find one that will work for him and send it down to him. And it's like, it's not, people aren't just like authors. They're like people that I love and care about and have like spent years cultivating a relationship with. Well, well it's and a it, great community, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so the many The more I get into people. it, the more people I talk to and get a chance to meet. It's a great community. And in a lot of ways is, I don't know, fosters a lot of really great relationships, a great lot of great community. And uh, you've been in it a lot longer than I have, but I can't imagine that you've been in it doing it this long and don't feel the same way. No, yeah. I mean, it, and you know, it's got its hardships. Like there's always stuff that hap that pops up and you're like, how do we deal with this? And it's, you know, I've got a lot of confidence in the, in the industry and I kind of hate playing like the industry insider role where it's like, but I have like friends that used to run really popular cycling magazines that are exceptional photographers and I'll send them a note and be like, which one of these photos do you like the best? And they'll be like, I like that. Or I'll be like, Hey, this happened. How should I deal with this? Well, I think you should do this. So I'll like draft up what I do and I send it to them. And they're like, that's perfect. Or I have this story and this, this author is like calling out a specific company. What's your take on that? And I send yeah. it to someone else. And so there's a lot of like relationships I've formed over the years that's with good. people that I don't think would even give me that, I mean, and I should also say, like, I don't think that's like very common in the industry. I think it's just been like we I've been here for so long and I've been doing people know that I'm a hard worker and they know that my heart's in the right spot and they give me a little bit more freedom and a little bit more guidance than than they might normally. You know, I go to Chris King open house and I'll shoot like 30 bikes for Chris King. They don't pay me to do that. Like I go up there because I want to help the frame builders out and I want to help, uh, you know, the word domestic production has ties to wartime production of materials. So I try not to use that, but companies in Germany making German hubs, companies in Australia making Aussie parts, like companies in Japan. Like I, I always want to support that. So yeah. 
And for me, it's like, it sucks because a nice bike, like that singular behind you with like nice parts, like White Industries, SimWorks, people see that and they like will balk at the price. I don't even know what the price tag would, on that would be. We're actually going to give that away after the review. Ooh. But um, damn. You know, it's, it, it is. It's it sucks. Not my I mean, size. like that Sklar, that titanium tour, like that thing is, it's tie and awesome. And I paid full retail for it from Adam and it was a tax write off. And, <laughs> yeah. you know and it's like that's the greatest thing about the podcast everything's yeah, attached yeah. right now <laughs> but i'm like i'm i don't want to like i don't know i'm so conflicted about it and that's the thing i don't like about the site is it's like it's consumerism and like posting like baller bikes it's amazing that someone is making like mark and prova cycles in australia is making yeah. some of the finest titanium bikes this world will ever see and they're like ten thousand dollars and i'm just throwing a number out there that to me, I'm like attracted to that, like a shiny object. I'm like a fucking rainbow trout going <laughs> yeah. for this thing. <laughs> yeah. But I also, I'm not like documenting it, telling people they need to buy it to be cool. It's more like a human being with the assistance of technology made this bicycle yeah, and made it specifically for another human being who happens to have a lot of money. But like also the next day, showcasing like Bailey's Rocky Mountain basket bike. That was a good one. He's yeah. doing like a wall ride on uh, the it. wall like, ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like just bikes run the gamut. Well, that's what I wanted to follow up with you on is I, I think that that's where you strike a balance is because you're not just showing, you know, dialed in race bikes that are $10,000. You're yeah. showing clunkers. You're showing, uh, you featured one that, uh, like he built in his garage, a frame builder. I think it was his first one recently. Oh, the kid and the in kid. Tucson, yeah. yeah. Spencer shot those photos. It was great. Yeah, Spencer yeah. shot that. Yeah, yeah. he was. He, I think he built it at like. Uh, I always mispronounce it, but it's either Bicus or Bicus. It's the like kind of co-op down there, like yeah. the. So I yeah. think if you like, you know, show all of it, like you know, for my podcast, like I try to interview some of the big dogs, let's say some of the well-known people in the industry, but also just tell stories of just like everyday people that just like to go ride yeah. their bike for fun, and because. For me, it's like, maybe that's the carrot. Maybe that dangly, fancy bike or or the race or whatever, maybe that's where you want to get to. But we don't start there, most of us. You know, there's a long progression to get there. And so I think you can strike a balance and yeah, totally. probably do it quite well. I, I rode so many bikes that didn't fit me like okay. until I finally got my first custom bike, which was like a touring bike. I sold every fucking handlebar that I had to like get enough money to put a deposit on it spent a year like talking about it and then i remember like writing the check or sending the paypal or whatever and just being like oh my god that's so much money and i've had so many since then but it's it's you know i want to support like adam is a good friend of mine and i want to buy a bike that not only promotes his business but also like you know ups the ante on you know american frame building and i've got tons of other frame builder friends like curtis inglis that I think is an amazing human and I will always own a retro tech no matter what. I think that is awesome that people are still making things in basically their garages. And I think just like everyone, they deserve a real living wage and it comes at a cost. And that's the hard thing that we have to figure out how to rectify. Like the minimum wage, if it was keeping up with inflation would be like three times what it is now. And maybe more people would be able to afford nice bikes. 
And it's, I keep, I try <laughs> to keep myself in check. Way. Yeah. I try to keep, I try to keep consumerism in check. You know, everyone's like, you got this crazy Land Cruiser thing. And I'm like, that thing is a piece of shit. Like <laughs> it just looks good on, on Instagram. <laughs> well, you work on it enough. Yeah. So it yeah. Can't, you know. COVID, COVID, like it's between house projects and that stuff. But you know, yeah. it's, I think the other thing too, is like when you're like, and I don't think of myself as a good photographer, but I think when you like can take a good photo or make a good photo like of something people think it's like fancy or bougie or hipster or whatever and it's like man like the tall poppy syndrome runs real on the internet now it's like <laughs> it's crazy but that's a good segue you're good at this photography yeah oh yeah that was the net that's the next bullet point i swear you were like how many podcasts have you done uh i did uh do they all a, ask the same question you're weird, like, oh, I know like, what's next. no not at all i did like a weird drunken hazy podcast with we got to hang out where i think everyone was really wasted and i was like before i quit drinking and then i did oddly enough i i've done like two like car camping slash like overland podcasts and that's pretty much it and you're really out there i know is one of them wallace oh yeah that's right yeah you're really out. yeah taylor's yeah when he was at gfc yeah, yeah i was gonna I come on that. and then he left gfc gfc so i guess yep. i'm i'm canceled no you but. should go do a interview with uh howdy partner coffee yeah he serves coffee out of back of a i know oj simpson bronco now or yeah bozeman yeah. Yeah. bozeman yeah. yeah but okay well you may not consider yourself a, a good photography i mean from a person who knows you until today from Instagram primarily and your website and pouring over your pictures. I mean, they're, I like them. Thanks man. That means um, a lot. Well, no, I, it's sincere. Like I, I was up on Mount lemon taking a, you know, a layered shot at sunset and I was like, all right, what would John do? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm putting this boulder and layering with that. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you take, you know, like I, I, like I'll study your stuff a little bit. I'm like, how could I, you know, cause that's how you learn. That's how I learn, you know, is like, you see, how did somebody do that? And like, okay, can I figure out how to do that too? And, um, you that's know, maybe it. one day I'll put my own twist on it, but right now I'm yeah, still totally, people. man. But no, you're, you know, I definitely admire your photography. So I'm wondering like, when did your interest in photography begin and and how did you develop that skill i actually started my grandfather gave me like an ae1 program with like a 50 millimeter 1.8 lens like to mess around with uh, i think i had that through college in architecture so a lot of the stuff was like shooting buildings architectural photography is is very specific you can always tell like when a lifestyle photographer goes in and shoots a space versus when a like an arc, a trained architectural photographer shoots a space. One of those things is, you know, obviously like if I were to shoot a photo of this room, I would need like at least a 14 millimeter, 18 millimeter lens. And one of the ways that I would shoot this room is by having all of the vertical lines being straight. So a lot of people you'll see, like they'll shoot something from like above level or below level and you'll have converging or diverging lines, which creates like almost like this vertigo effect in a space versus when you create a balance and a grounding point by keeping the lines vertical, you feel like you're within the space without it feeling distorted, if that makes sense. And as an architect, your job is not just to design buildings, but to create moments and to work with light and you know space and program and all, all these like multi-layers. And now you have to factor in for Instagram. Have you heard about this? 
I was listening to a podcast and there is a total rabbit hole, but you yeah. might find this interesting about how almost every architect, well, it depends on it, but if it's a big project, hotels, they want an iconic Instagram wall, yeah. you know, where yeah. the you know, selfie walls in the bathroom, that totally. kind of thing is like, a, it's a thing now. It's dictating the how- The Paul Smith pink wall in Santa Monica. It's yeah, like how many yeah. people have shot stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's like the weird- so when I was in school, we were looking at like I loved like Rem Coolhouse and Tom Main. Tom Main did like the um, Caltrans building in downtown LA. Rem Coolhouse did the Chicago Public Library, or his office OMA did it. Actually, a bunch of underpaid interns did all that stuff. But I love like Louis Kahn and I love Donald Judd and Baragon. And um, have you ever been out to uh, Chinati? Never even heard it's, of it. It's West Texas. It's like you should go check it out. Chinati. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of like really, I think like culturally architecture is very powerful. The problem is the pretension of the industry. And it's like a bunch of Steve Jobs looking guys wearing like Banana Republic, all black, talking about space, designing bougie shit for rich people. And I just wasn't like gripped by that. I like building shit. So one of the ways that I kind of detached myself from the white collar or the blue collar profession posing as white collar was learning how to shoot photos and also how to 3D model spaces. And those go really well hand in hand. Like a lot of times designing a building happens really, you know, obviously like there's the party or the sketch or the diagram, and then it becomes like a 3D form. And so you model this and looking at it in three dimensions is how you like determine spatial organization. But doing a rendering could break or make a project. So like if a client is going back and forth about like what they want their living room to, to look like and you show a bunch of mock-ups in 3D. It's really good. It's like, it's practically like a photo when you're rendering in like, you're doing like Maya or like Katia or like all these programs that are like super photorealistic. I'm probably... Architects now are going to laugh at me for dating myself by naming those programs. I don't know uh, how many architects listen. But <laughs> a lot of, there are a lot of, there's, and I think that was like a big draw of the site is they were like, oh, this guy has a design eye and he's a, he's a cyclist. And there's yeah. tons of architects that are cyclists. Yeah. And so the way I shoot a bike is 200 millimeter lens, usually wide open, completely flat elevations. And when I started doing this, people weren't doing it this way. And now it's like the thing that people do, but it's like, I treat them like, drawings like architectural drawings you have a plan and an elevation then you go into details inch and a half is to a foot so it's like a little bit larger and then you do three inch is to a foot drawing so you, you go from like so i'll shoot the profile and then i'll shoot the fork in the head tube which is like the zooming in of that and then i'll shoot the head tube down tube weld or the fork crown and i'll go through and shoot all these details while giving you the the largest frame of reference to look at. And so that's how I started shooting bikes was like very architecturally, like the places we shoot them. Now it's mostly like out in the, you know, woods or whatever. Yeah. But in New York, it was like, let me find a really cool space and prop the bike in there. I still love shooting architectural stuff. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Like yeah, you post stuff on your personal account, even the the place you're staying with your friend this oh, weekend yeah. you did yeah. yeah i mean you can't help it i mean your your house you live in i mean just i don't know anywhere you go visit like if it's an airbnb like you're taking pictures of, yeah. of it like you you really love it and carrie's was a photo producer for years and so she like knows she styles stuff she produces the commercial shoots i do with like giro or trek or 
but we've done tons of commercial work. So it's it's really fun to have someone that has a good eye, good sense of style and design, kind of like sitting over your shoulder, like, you know, get get them to pull down this part and then like kind of whispering and then it just works and it's like a really fluid, we work so well together. I mean, we fucking spent last year like around each other nonstop yeah. <laughs> and like we're still doing it. So <laughs> Well, you're either going to go closer or further apart. Yeah, I think. it's I mean, kind of like think riding that's... a tandem, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the relationship like, accelerator. It's like tandem is the equivalent of COVID for one year, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Let's give some tips to some other, I mean, obviously photography and bikepacking and cycling almost go hand in hand. I mean, Instagram oh, yeah. posts, I mean, everybody for loves sure. to share pictures of their bike. We all love pipe bike porn. I mean, who doesn't? So tips for people looking in, like what kind of camera would they get? And maybe it's a, oh, well, I actually just did give some really good tips, but maybe anything else. Yeah. So um, are you talking about just shooting bikes themselves or like rides or think, kind of everything? Well, here's my thought. Like, let's say, because for my person, I'd like to, you know, shoot the bike. Yeah. But then also have a camera that could capture the experience. Cause yeah, it's, totally. it's for me, it's always got to be about the experience too. Yeah. Like the bike is the vehicle. Bikes are cool, but what what are you doing, man? I, I tell so many people like, you know what? So first you figure out what their intent is. Like, do you want to be a professional photographer? Do you want to just do stuff for Instagram? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? If someone's just trying to capture the feel and the look of the rides and like maybe differentiate their work a little bit, I always point people to like a Yashica T4, a 35 millimeter compact camera. It's point and shoot, boom. You're riding with your buddies, you're descending some crazy road. I heard a cattle run out in front of everyone you know, you mash your brakes, grab the camera, grab that dust with the cattle coming across the road and like, boom, that's an amazing moment, you know? And it's, film is great because you don't have to do a whole lot of post-processing. If you don't know what a histogram is, it really doesn't matter. It is what you get. Of course, you can work negatives and like, you know, post-process them because people did that for decades before digital. And then I kind of say a good camera, a camera is kind of like a helmet. You want a helmet that's going to make you look good, that you feel like you look good, that you're going to always want to wear. And a camera is the same kind of thing. You want something that's manageable enough for your kind of riding and that you're always going to want to take with you. So I've pointed so many people to the Sony RX100 because it's a compact, yeah. variable optical and digital zoom. Another good one is like the Fuji X100 series, which is just a 35 millimeter equivalent. Some of the most iconic photos of all time were shot at 35 millimeter, like uh, focal length. Like I shot our whole CDT bike tour on a 35 millimeter lens. And it was like, it's like just wide enough to catch some like landscapes, good for portraits, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, it's good. It's a good focal length that'll do a lot of things okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, good versatile lens. Maybe. Yeah. And so, like when I go on a trip with Carrie, unless we have to shoot some commercial stuff, I'll do like a 21 millimeter for really wide shots. Really wide shots, okay. So like someone's going to come around a turn and rip up like on a, they're just going to shred this like fire road into the sunset. I'll get down really low on the ground with a 21 millimeter and get their whole bike in the shot and like the landscape and you really feel like you're like riding their wheel. And then a 50 millimeter for kind of like more portraity stuff. Um, and then a 135 usually for landscapes. And that's what I'll carry on our road trips usually. But if we're going to be Where doing- Where does the 200 come in? Only if you're going to do yeah, a bike. Yeah, so that, that's more like the the lifestyle-y, feely okay, stuff. Okay, So if I'm going to shoot- So your travel kit would be yeah. the 24- 2150 and a 135, 135. or a 90. Okay. Um, and that's for like those that compression of like landscapes. Right, that layered effect. Yeah. 
But like when I'm going to go shoot a bike, I'm an idiot. Like, I don't think a lot of people do this, but I used to go like bike touring with like a 1DX Mark III, a 200 to 400 lens, a 2470, some wide prime. And I would put it all on my back. And like, like the Death Valley tours that we've done, I'm carrying like 30 pounds worth of sh shit on my back and like jumping off swapping between the 2470 and the 100 to 200 or what 100 to 400 or whatever going back and forth and it's just like it broke me and now my favorite camera and this kind of goes into like the camera that you will want to carry with you i switched over to sony and i got an a92 and i have a tamron 28 to 200 so it's really wide and then also really long yeah so i can go mountain bike like if we were gonna go, how long is that lens? Two hundred. It's actually I. I should have brought it because this is the seventy to two hundred. It's about the size of this. Like I don't know what size this clean canteen, a twelve ounce clean canteen. Okay. So so that's manageable. Manageable and my bag that I carry it in, it'll fit in. It'll it's fit like in. about that. Size yeah, it's about that size the, with the hood on it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's like a twenty eight to two hundred. It's not a two eight. It's not super fast. It's not even that fast of a focusing lens, but like I shoot a lot of stuff manual focus anyway, so I kind of know how to like set focus trap and all that stuff. But it's a great camera, does everything. I've shot bikes on it and people, no one's ever like, these photos look like shit. What lens did you shoot this on? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's a $600 Tamron lens and I've just been shooting bikes on a $3,000 Sony lens and it's like, most people can't tell the difference. Yeah, I'm one of them. Yeah. yeah. So rate rate my kit. All right. So I have the Fuji XT3 body. Great, great I, body. I have a uh, sixteen to eighty, and I have a fifty to two hundred. So that's like there's it's a crop sensor. So the sixteen to eighty is like a thirty five to one thirty five or so, because it's not full frame, right? Then the XT, yeah, the XT's not. Yeah. Oh, I does. I didn't know if it would convert it on there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm camera dumb. So yeah, no. But you've got a wide and you've got a a long, and I think that versatility on a on a camera for bike touring, mountain biking, gravel riding, whatever you're doing, bike packing, like I think that's the key. I think I I like what you have with the one lens because yeah. I did, I mean, I can get from 16 all the way to 200 and I can fit both, like everything into a, into a hip pack. Yeah. So that's, that's my thing. Yeah. You exactly. know, but if I get on one lens, like you had for that $600 lens, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good one. And it's like, if I break it, I'm not gonna, it's not my 50 Summelux Leica lens that, yeah. you know, but I'm also like, what I would also say is don't buy new camera equipment. Okay. Like yeah. I have like an M, a Leica M10 and like a bunch of Leica M glass, which is it's like if you were to go into a store and buy an M10 and a 50 Summelux, you're like 15 grand in the hole. But I was like smart and put up RSS and Google alerts on Craigslist and watch eBay. And sometimes you like I found my 50 Summelux, it had a chip in the glass and some guy had was like, I babied it. But then, you know, I went on a trip and I chipped the glass. The auction ended. I got it for $1,100. I sent it back to Leica to um an eleven hundred dollars is great because it's a thirty five hundred dollar lens yeah <laughs> um just to put it in perspective and also like when you're a professional photographer you can like justify expenses yeah. like that <laughs> it's but, a um, write-off too and yeah it's a write-off and i sent the lens to leica and it was still under warranty and they replaced the front element of the glass for free wow nice and it's like you just gotta be patient like i got this one from uh jared foster who's a professional photographer oh, yeah. and teaches photography at texas tech so yeah yeah 
I bought I, my first camera came from Miles Arbor. Oh no! And okay, so awesome. he had Logan had just given him a new camera, um, so I was like, "Sweet, that's great bike packing history." And uh, Jared came with some good one too. Maybe my next one, I'll, I'll hit you up next. Yeah, and see, dude, I just sold Travis from Paul. Com or actually, just I think I just I like getting him. them from other bike packs. Yeah, when I know they yeah, already yeah. have a good pedigree. Yeah, totally. It, it, I don't know. It's kind of nostalgic or something. I like it. Yeah, like I think Morgan Taylor has like old cameras of mine and old lenses, and you know he's he was stoked to get the twenty four seventy two eight L lens that I had and. I, I sent Travis from Paul, the 7200. He's been shooting a bunch of stuff on. And uh, my buddy Aaron that does those chain rings, like the Aaron Works Design guy, I sent him my 5D. Like, And I always give people deals. Like some dude in Florida bought my 85 Prime, my Canon, and I just gave it to him for like dirt cheap. So it's like, I just like to, anytime I'm getting rid of something that I've already used and gotten my money's worth, I'm, I'm like practically like giving it away yeah, to people. It's a way to do it. Yeah. I mean, same with like, we, I mean, I've got like a stack of wheels over here. It's like <laughs> how many wheels does one person need? Uh, yeah. My garage is a mess. Y'all can come over and prolifer my, or proliferate steal, rob me, whatever the word is. Pilfer. 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 Pilfer maybe. Pilfer. That's the word. Yeah. Um, what we're doing is we're actually just putting all of this stuff in bins and taking it down to Silver Stallion and Gallup and donating. They have a bike shop that's like a mobile bike shop. It's like in an old bread truck and they've been traveling around the Navajo Nation like fixing bikes and oh, nice. a bunch of kids in Gallup that are like already hitting dirt jumps on like clapped out bikes. So we're going to try to give them some tires and forks and wheels and bars. And I found in almost any decent sized community there's somebody that will take your parts and build bikes for yeah. underprivileged, like yellow bike outside of Austin. Was yeah, like the spot there's so that. so like that's a great tip. Like if you have a bunch of shit, find that yeah. person in your because I that, like when you said that I was like, dude, I need to like just have them come and take stuff out of my garage because it's yeah it's gluttonous you know and it yeah. doesn't need to be there <laughs> we're a one in one out household so if I want a new bike I usually sell two to pay for that Good. one so. Yeah. And now my girlfriend's like, Carrie's getting more and more. I don't know if she's getting more and more into bikes or if I'm like, you need a mountain bike. But we just built her up a Revel Ranger and she's had her like elephant NFE basket bike for years. And she's like, you know, in her 40s. And we're like living in a mountain bike town now. Like the gravel riding here isn't all that great. There's like yeah. two zones you can ride gravel. Gravel people will get mad at me saying that, but not like how. I was used to like the Sierra and like the San Gabriel mountain gravel riding where you can do hundreds of miles of like mountain passes here. It's like the Caja is pretty flat. There's Pacheco Canyon road, which is gravel, but that's what we climb a lot of times when we're going to go do the backcountry mountain biking stuff. So it's like, I don't want to climb that on a gravel bike. I would rather just climb it on a mountain bike and then ride single track. Boom. So it's like, there's a lot of good stuff up in Taos. Like I need to go ride with Dylan from Balfamet. He's got some cool gravel routes and I really do miss gravel riding I just don't do it as much here. Yeah. The wind is fucking oh, horrible. The wind. Like, the wind, the sun, there's no water. It's like when you're mountain biking, you're climbing up a drainage and there's water along the way. Yeah. And so you can carry like a MSR trail shot. We pump. all kind of like ride based on the train we're living in. You know, yeah, I mean, totally. it does dictate the yeah. type of riding you're a lot of times going to be able to do or, or want to do. Yeah. Can we, uh, do you want to talk about your sobriety? You brought it up a couple of times. Yeah, man. It's I, a, uh, I, I did sober January. Yeah, and I remember so texting you were, with you about you it. You were uh, giving me some encouraging words. It actually wasn't that hard. It was, 
it, like it's like anything. Once you decide to do something, you just do it. It's not that big yeah. of a deal. But um, a couple of people on Instagram did want to know, and 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 me as well. I'm curious. About four years ago, I think you quit. Yeah. And why? Yeah. And how's it going? So I'll, I'll I won't use the word sobriety because like I eat, right. I, I eat mushrooms and I smoke <laughs> weed because like you know those are two things that come from the ground and are pretty much like unmolested. The world would just be a better place if more people did psychedelics. And and I understand the controlled, like sitting in a therapist's office with a blindfold on and like like talking about your feelings. Just take like three stems and three caps and just go go somewhere safe outdoors that you know really well and just listen and look and you will see that the world is communicating with us and not in some like weird Timothy Leary like nut job way, but there is a, a framework of like consciousness with all living creatures. And yes, I, I do eat animals. I'm not vegan or whatever, but you know, cause that's first thing someone will say was if you believe in that, you shouldn't be eating animals. And I'm like, the world is nuanced. It's not a binary place. Like Thank you. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people can drink alcohol and be fine. I am not one of those people. I'll start with a bottle of like, I mean, in Texas, I was drinking Van Winkle 12 year. Like it was water. Cause I had a liquor store that this is before it all blew up with like Ryan Reynolds and shit. Like, you know, but, um, I would drink like Colonel Taylor, like in LA, I'd go buy a bottle of Colonel Taylor and sit down at the shop and just drink the whole thing and get wasted. And I'd go on road trips or I'd be like at nabs and you'd get shit faced. You'd be up until four in the morning and then you got to work the next day. And I'm like, man, I was a, when I drank, I got like bitter. I got like you know, I think as men in general, I think men just need to go to therapy like across the board. And I think therapy is everyone, every, yeah. I mean, it's like and men included, but like, you know, men's lashing out is a lot less severe than women's lashing out. Like, you know, it's like a weird, there's like a cultural dynamicism. Oh, I see. Cause with, men yeah. have more, yeah, their lashing out is more severe. So yeah. it's like, yeah, well, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> especially if you mix alcohol into it. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge issue was like, I would get drunk I never, obviously I never like beat any women or anything. Like I never right. got abusive, but I would definitely like just wake up and not remember what the fuck I did the night before. Like we would be on the road for work stuff. You'd be at a bike race and you're like shit faced and it's 11 o'clock. And you know, you kind of have that moment of clarity where you're like, oh man, what do I look like to people right now? And then I would just go to bed and like, I got really tired of not feeling like myself. I got tired of the depression. I got tired of the self-doubt. I got tired of like all the behavior that goes along with like alcohol abuse. And I remember I blew my girlfriend off who wanted to go to like a gallery show just to sit around the bike shop and drink and got so drunk that one of the people that's usually like really drunk walked me home. And I think I woke up the next morning and and I had had a rough few months before that. And Carrie and I were in a really rocky spot and she was over it. And I just went to the, her house and was like, I'm done drinking. And she was like, good, because I was about to fucking break up with you because my behavior had just been so like bad. I put alcohol before everything. Yeah. Um, was, and, did, did she drink at the time? Yeah. I mean, she's from Texas, man. Like she, we were joking. She was like, the first thing I did was at 14, she took acid. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa, like there's in Brenham, Texas, there's not a whole lot you're going to do. Brenham, but, Texas. Yeah, that's where she's from. Okay. Yeah. She's from that's Brenham. That's 50 minutes for me. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I know Brenham. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she like mushrooms and drugs and you know. Well, there's not alcohol. anything to do yeah. out there. And if you yeah. don't play football, like she's like, I went and saw Nine Inch Nails at a fucking rundown grocery store. How old is she? If you don't mind me I think she's like 43. Yeah, okay. she's 43. Yeah, she and I are the same age. Yeah, huh. yeah. She's About, like, I want 41, but we, I mean, yeah. Yeah, she ever came to party in College Station? Who knows? <laughs> oh, for sure, she did. Yeah, because yeah, that's where they she, go. She she tells me these party stories all the time in Texas, and I'm just like, man, my dad told me if I he caught me drinking or doing drugs, he'd throw me through a wall, and yeah. I believed it because he had done that before. So I was my like, dad did too. I just left home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I started. Yeah, I got into it at 14 as well. Actually, oh fuck. Yeah, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. So I um I just quit cold turkey. And like the thing that really hurt the most was that, okay, like I might be a popular person to where I have a lot of acquaintances and a lot of people that like know me or I know them. But in terms of like real relationships with people, I could maybe count them on one hand, like people that I consider like true friends, like in, in LA and, and I'll, almost all of them uh, just fucking kind of picked on me, like about drinking, saying, telling people that I thought I was better than other people saying I used to be fun, I'm no longer fun, I don't party anymore, I'm not, like, and it, the thing that was mind-boggling to me that's is, like, fucking shocking, I'm sorry, but that's The same so people that up. were doing this shit were the, are the ones on Instagram, like, acting like woke, like, oh, you know, yeah. uh, you should respect everybody, like, be nice, be kind, and I'm like, motherfucker, you just told me, like, a day ago that I, I'm no more fun because I quit drinking, or, like, you came to like a party and knew I wasn't drinking and ordered a bunch of booze and right in front of me. I was kind of blown away at the insecurity that comes along with alcoholism. And I'm not judging people. Cause like, that was about them, not about yeah, you. For sure. It was yeah. all about, and a lot of, I think people that have alcohol problems, like a lot of my friends in LA wanted to bring me back down to their level about like being dependent on something. And it was just unhealthy. And I was like, I don't think I'm better than anyone, but I definitely think that I kind of like was in a, I'm in a different spot in my life right now. And I feel better about myself. I don't feel like I need to constantly be asserted that I'm doing a good job. Like I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am as a person. And Bailey, by contrast, has been like an amazing partner in this journey because he doesn't drink either. Oh, good. And a lot of other friends, and I'm, I know I'm like dogging on LA, but it's like a, party town you know and it's like you stop drinking and and you go to bike events and everyone's like you go to a checkpoint and it's like beer and i'm like do you have water like anything <laughs> like i'll take gatorade at this point just give me <laughs> yeah blow a shotgun in my mouth i don't care anything um and it was really cool. like my friend amanda like threw an event and she was like you posted this thing on instagram about like not drinking at bike events and i realized that we had, didn't have any Lacroix or anything for people not drinking so i went up to the store and bought a bunch of Lacroix, and it's like it's just a conversation that it's really important. Bikes are awesome. People love drinking beer after races. Just make sure if you're an event organizer, you've got something for people that don't drink. Amen. I think that's like the thing. But, it, you know, I feel like I'm a better person mentally. I feel like I'm a better cyclist. I'm never going to be a fucking KOM climber. Yeah. I like getting rowdy on descents. But there's just like a lucidity that exists within your consciousness that... I think drugs like weed and mushrooms help elevate yeah. and depressants like alcohol and like other hard drugs like really like cloud. Right. Mushrooms also helped me like I didn't realize that I had I grew up in like in a really abusive household and I had like hidden it all away 
And Carrie and I got fucked up shrooming out in White Pocket, Arizona and had like an eight hour conversation about my childhood. And all these feelings came up that I had hidden. And I was like, it finally understood like why I had anger issues and like why I was such a bad alcoholic. And it's like mushrooms helped me do that. And mm. I went to some therapy like when I split up with my ex in Austin, but I hadn't gone to therapy about alcohol abuse. And, you know, I think once COVID subsides, I definitely want to go to a therapist just to help like kind of work through stuff because humans are one massive puzzle that has been like shaken up and mixed up with all these other puzzles. And like our life is basically spent trying to find our pieces elsewhere that make us whole, you know? Interesting, interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully at, at the end of that, you find all the all the peace within yourself, you know, but you gotta, yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not perfect, but I am at a good place in my life right now. I'm 41 and I've fucking messed up a lot, you know, and I've done a, you know, it's an ongoing process of always continually trying to be a better, you know, and yeah. like, you know, it's like, what else can you do? I think, uh, yeah, I agree with therapy. Everybody should go to therapy and you don't have to go all the time. Like no. for me, yeah. I find that I go, at, at certain times, like when you need it, you know, this idea that everybody is always a hundred percent mentally sound or doesn't have anxiety or doesn't struggle is bullshit. Every single person has hard times. Everybody goes through things and struggles with things. And we're all human. Like you said, getting shaken up and trying to figure it out, you yeah. know, and life's coming yeah. at you and you're like, you know? We're like a Mexican martini. Like, yeah. you know, you want to shake it or stir it? I don't fucking I, know. I will say, like, I miss, I, I do miss Mexican martinis, like in Texas. For man. sure. That, those places, uh, Polvos and all those spots were so good. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the thing that is challenging because, especially like the political discussions, everything is like A or B, binary is like perfect. It's like, you're either a circle or a dot or a, you know, whatever. X. Yeah, X or some people can totally like drink and and regulate it fine. I think just like eating meat, like we eat, we eat very little like red meat. I smoke very little weed, I think. I, at this point, I do very little mushrooms. We try to drive very little. Like I think all these like moderation movements yeah. can like, like I'm not of the believer that doing like stop eating meat is going to save the world. Like we've all been brainwashed that like recycling was going to save the world. It's like the biggest scam ever. Yeah. Like we've been brainwashed by corporations to feel guilty about our carbon footprint. Like BP started that as like a propaganda campaign to shift the blame from corporations to consumers. And now you look, I mean, look in the comments on our site, it's like people will call me out for driving a diesel Land Cruiser in the desert. And I'm like, I don't fly. I don't have kids. Like there's all these things that go into the conversation. And your whole point was started by a corporation with the intention of turning individuals against each other so that the corporations could skirt and justice. And it worked. And it worked. Yeah. That's a, that is a sad thing. I actually talked about this with Lael yesterday. You know her got milk. Yeah. 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 It was a, it was a April Fool's. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, someone's going to take this the wrong way and it's going to be yeah, 
Well, she got tons and tons of hate. But what she said is like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't sometimes. I not mean, everyone's going to like you. And not, not everyone's going to be stoked. You know, and you, but you do your best. And I think that's the thing is like, you just have to keep doing your best. And, you know, for what it's worth, I, I think that y'all do an excellent job um, at the Radivist, you being at the helm of bringing light in lots of dark places, you know, a lot of uh, places that need to be showcased, whether it's a frame belter or, you know, um, injustices in like, yeah, like yeah. social like injustices civil, and stuff. Civil and social you know, issues. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, like, but you're always, you're always doing a good job of like walking that balance of like, it's fun, it's rad, but it's the Radivist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, first of all, thank you because it's that's our intention, and we always have more work to do. And intention you know. is important, I think. Yeah, because not everyone gets it right one hundred percent. But what is the intention? What is the ethos and the mission of the Radivist? Yeah, and what is that? What is your intent? And and if you slip up, and it's like you said, like a lot of times you're going to friends and you're saying, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And yeah. you're you're getting feedback because feedback matters. But doesn't mean you're gonna get right every single time. You no, know? and it's it's nice to have people that are like, dude, you're like, drop it, like you're overreacting, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, whatever. Um, and it's and I think like that clarity didn't exist for me until I quit drinking. Like the listening, learning, and listening did not exist for me. I got defensive. I argued. I had very strong opinions that I voiced all the time. Everything was like like very binary, like. Disc brakes suck on gravel bikes. They're not gravel bikes. They're just road bikes with bigger, like all those kind of like very hardline issues. Now it's like, I mean, I feel like someone the other day on Instagram was like, I really appreciate witnessing you falling into yourself as a result of your sobriety and like you maturing as a person and you're really comfortable as yourself now. And it's very apparent and obvious. And I was like, I didn't even think of it like that, Mm. you know? And I think like, for me, alcohol was like really keeping me from like growing. Yeah. And I understood why the people around me wanted to keep me down because they were like perpetual, like Peter Pans. They were just like, whatever, we're going to party until four in the morning every fucking night. And it's like, you know, no, I just I'm wasn't tired of thinking about it. I want to yeah. go to sleep just you saying that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to feel like shit about myself because when you feel like shit about yourself, it's hard to like help other people or. It's hard to listen or I don't know. It is hard because it, it's a barrier. I have a, I feel like you got to kind of work on your own house before you can go. And, you know, you yeah. really got to – and you don't have to be perfect. But, I mean, you kind of need to get your shit together before you start going and working on somebody else. You know, that that's like a super important part of the puzzle. Well, congratulations, man. Congratulations on quitting alcohol. And, yeah. you know, we all have those roadblocks that we have to get rid of. And, and everybody has their own, like, personal – things it doesn't matter what it is so but i mean it seems like you're in a good place i mean you have a great partner that's a great with business it's also seems like she helps you with just being a better person which i feel like a good partner like brings out the best in you yeah you know it's like they're building you up they're not breaking you down and it's it's also like important to like one of the issues that i've like caught myself doing a lot is like she's done this she's done that And it's like, what have I done to help her? You know, because like, and I don't know if this is like just whatever, but I think a lot of people fall into the routine of like taking from their partners or like seeing how they benefit them themselves. And it's like, no, like, what can I do to like help make this better? And 
I put a lot of pressure on Carrie when I quit drinking and I should have just gone straight to a therapist and I would, she went through hell. I mean, it, it was like a complete, it was like Gregor and the metamorphosis, you know, like that old like short story about the guy that turns into the fucking cockroach. <laughs> I don't know that one. Like, yeah, it was like, it's like one of those like, it wasn't rolled doll, but it, it might've been rolled doll, but it was like one of those like screwed up kids like books or whatever where you're like oh there's there's like an allegory here that i'm missing but right now i'm freaked out because this guy turned into a cockroach but um yeah there's like you know we're all like these like these things in chrysalis that are like waiting to emerge and she definitely facilitated that and she's a facilitator and i think that's like a good way to to put it and i'm a pain in the ass for her i'm sure um but like you know I think as long as there's like a symbiosis there with your relationships and even with your readership or your audience, you know, you don't want to feel like you're taking from the community. You want to feel like you're giving back to it right. too. And you don't want to feel like you're benefiting alone. You know, you want to bring and lift up people with you. That's a and great I, way to put it. It's a, it's a, it's a mutual, like the community all benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not easy to do and it's not a perfect line to walk it's a challenge and um and we're all gonna fuck up and i think like the cancel culture stuff is like done some good and it's done a lot of it's done some bad too and i think if the if the like overarching reason for a lot of this behavior is to educate people and to like change people then then listening and learning and like being like, having that willingness is like just as important as like seeing the the injustice and like calling it for what it is so it's um yeah and you know there's just like i was saying at the beginning of this conversation like i just learned uh like when you start when you're talking about like indigenous like artifacts or whatever like we just went to this trail network called um sand canyon and there are what i have called runes like you know ancestral pueblo like hopi zuni like cliff dwelling ruins and a friend was correcting me last night and said you know one of the things that these people want to be told or like like the way we talk about them is they're not anasazi which is like navajo propaganda for like the old ancient pueblos that existed in these areas they are you know of pueblo ancestry or zuni or whatever they're not ruins they are homes they're not panel art they are stories and I've read so much Craig Childs and like he might have made that point somewhere, but hearing this told secondhand through a Zuni elder just opened my mind and like made me excited because I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't. Well, learning is exciting. Yeah. I didn't immediately go to like, oh, all those times I called it ruins, like that fucked up. It's like, no, no, no. I know now how to refer to this. I was listening to uh, the real story, like a podcast on the real Texas history story. Like, you know, the watered down shit that we learn in America. Oh, especially you know, Texas history, history Texas, in Texas. Fuck that. You know, yeah. it's like, you gotta, you gotta try, you know, it doesn't just they hand it to you on a platter and like, well, this is everything you need to know. You gotta be intent and, and like try, you know, and be open, listen and, and learn. Yeah. Did, did you know that the Alamo is named after the cottonwood trees? No. Yeah, so cottonwoods are also called Alamos. So the Alamos that, yeah. is named after the Alamo Grove, oh. which which is like interesting. I like I like that kind of little factoid. Yeah, it's yeah. No, that's the thing is like knowing those little things about the places you're in or whatever. And it doesn't have a basement, contrary to Pee Wee's Big Adventure or whatever. <laughs>
I got to run, John. Oh, man, yeah. Sorry, I rambled a lot. No, I love rambling. My favorite thing is a long-form conversation. You get... Um, because like for like bikes are cool i love the people i love the community that's what we're all building is, yeah. a, is a community and getting to know people i don't know is something that i i love i love to like it's like well you do all these cool fucking things but hey i still struggle with alcohol and hey yeah. you know i still you know like we're, we're all just humans, humans and yeah. we're all just trying to figure out you know and so i love just meeting people and getting to hear their stories so thanks for sharing yours yeah, and man, for thanks sure. for everything you do in the community i mean you uh you are a facilitator too to use your word um and you do facilitate a lot of great content and there's no doubt that like you know, what the Radifist is able to do is, you know, grow and facilitate a better yeah. cycling and bikepacking community. So, you know. shout out to Chip Woodley. I think he's like the first person I saw using like facilitator as like an, um, an adjective. So like making stickers. Yeah. Facilitator. Like it. Yeah. Smooth jazz lines. That guy's, he does some cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah. Thanks for giving me a microphone for, what has probably been a little bit longer than two hours. Oh, two hours. Oh, right wow. two hours. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I appreciate Easy. it. Man. It goes by fast. Doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. It's does. like hard to do only an hour podcast. Yeah. Like, why are your podcasts so long? Well, have you ever sat in a room with someone that's pretty interesting and like, well, I'm going to need you to stop talking now. Yeah, like, no, yeah. I want to hear, you know? So anyway, yeah. Thank you. And, uh, till next time. Yeah. Cheers. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 69 of the podcast. I hope your 420 is going super chill. And thanks again to John Watson for coming on the podcast and really everything that you do for the community. It was a real honor to finally get to sit down with John. We had been talking about it for months and months about getting him on the podcast and he was super willing, but I really wanted to wait until we could sit down face to face rather than doing it on a Zoom call if preferred. So it was just, y'all know, I just like to sit down across a person and look them in their darn eyes, you know? And after we recorded that episode, John asked if he could take a picture of my bike. And of course, I said yes. Internally, I was hoping beyond all hope that he would take pictures of my bike because just like you, I've salivated over you know his bike photography. He calls himself not a very good photographer, but I might take a little bit of issue with that. But he did take pictures of my bike. They turned out awesome. And you'll find those over on the Radivist. So be sure to go over there and check those out if you want to see pictures of my bike. All right. Well, listen, I just got back from a bike pack rafting trip in Northwest Arkansas, or maybe it's just called bike rafting. I'm not really sure. It seems like this sport is so new that no one has really determined or decided or settled on what we're going to call it. I'm going to go with bike pack rafting. For me, I think that is good, bikepack rafting. So I just got off a bikepack rafting trip in Northwest Arkansas with uh, actually Ryan Story, who's a listener of the podcast. I reached out to him and uh, asked him if he wanted to do a podcast. And he said, sure, but you have to go bikepack rafting with me. And of course I'd said, yes, it was so much fun. I actually went into it with a little bit of trepidation, you know, putting a 190 pound dude plus like 50, 55 pounds of gear, a bike, all that on top of a five pound inflatable raft going down rapids and rocks and everything else. In my mind, I'm thinking this can only lead to disaster, but I'm happy to report that I never flipped. I never went in the water, got a little wet from the rapids and stuff, and it was raining most of the time. But other than that, the trip went off splendidly. I'm absolutely hooked. So 
be looking for that episode coming soon. It's not coming out next week. It's going to be a few weeks, unfortunately, but we are working to put that episode together and get it out to you. I think that there's a lot of interest in bike pack rafting right now. Stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening to episode 69 of the Bikes for Death podcast. Happy 420, everybody. Recreate often, recreate responsibly, and oh yeah, lest you forget, (laughs) lest you get stoned and forget, go ride your damn bike.